You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. And Correa lines it deep to right field. Judge is going back at the wall, looking up. See you later! See you later! See you later! See you later! Astros even the series at a game apiece on the walk-off home run by Carlos Correa in the bottom of the 11th. Three to two, Astros win it! Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, that was big league at Minute Maid Park yesterday. And I think if you watch that monster game, all four hours and 49 minutes, and even watch how he played in the first game, it reminds us all how special Carlos Correa really is. And there were rumblings because the last two years he's been injured, and of course this year with the (laughs) broker's rib getting a massage or whatever. You know, they're wondering, hey, Bregman can play short. They're going to want to pay this guy. Well, he just showed you last night on some terrific defensive plays, that clutch play that he had throwing the runner out at home after the ball hit off Altuve, and then the walk-off home run. Still at just 25 years old. This guy is special. He became the seventh player in postseason history to have multiple multiple walk-off hits. He and David Ortiz are the only players to have multiple walk-offs against the same team, both against the New York Yankees. What a game it was. We got a lot to talk about because we got a game three. How about the Nats? Does it get any better than what the Nats got going right now? They got a 2-0 lead at home with Strasburg on the mound. Brian Anderson, this is why you listen to A's Cast Live. We have the top guest in all of baseball. Brian Anderson, who's calling the game tonight with Ron Darling for TBS, will join us at 1.30. B.A., the voice of the Brewers, and, of course, everything that does for Turner and TBS, will be here at 1.30. Our old friend, a great leader, a winner, a kid from the Bay Area. Johnny Gomes is going to be on the program breaking down a little playoff baseball at 2 o'clock. Evan Drellich, who does an outstanding job for The Athletic. He's in New York. He has written all kinds of articles, but the latest one is, is there a change in the old baseball from the regular season to the postseason? And going to educate us a lot on what's going on with Rawlings. So his article came out, I don't know, about eight hours ago about how the company Rawlings basically is owned 100% by, in some faction, 
around baseball. Now, Major League Baseball is in 25%. The main owner of Rawlings is a company by the guy who's the majority owner of the San Diego Padres. So, in some form of fashion, 100% of Rawlings is owned by someone connected with Major League Baseball. It's not something that a lot of people have really known about. Like, it wasn't until Justin Verlander at the All-Star game was bringing it up, and when they slapped him on the wrist, Jim Leland and Joe Torre, saying, hey, you're great, you're a Hall of Famer, but uh, keep your mouth shut. Unless you read the article, like I never saw it, I guess it was like in the Wall Street Journal or maybe Forbes had it, about baseball acquiring 25% of Rawlings. But that's not something that we care about, right? Like, why would we care? Well, now we care. Just like in football where we had deflate gate with Tom Brady in the balls, now we've got juiced ball gate in Major League Baseball. Evan Drellich will join us from the Athletic at 2.30. And then, oh, we love her to death. Astrophysicist Meredith Wills, who's been breaking this thing down, cutting open baseballs. I've actually delivered baseballs to her. She is going to be here at 3 o'clock. Because what we're hearing is these balls in the postseason, even though you're seeing home runs, even though Correa is going opposite field, these balls that are, are that are in play right now in the postseason aren't traveling as far as they were during the regular season. And these are the best teams. These are the best hitters. They're just not going as far. Why is that? And that'd be pretty darn scandalous, right, of Major League Baseball. I mean, I, I don't know what would happen, but if it actually came out and said, oh, yeah, um, we changed the balls for the postseason because we didn't want to have all the home runs going out like the regular season. I mean, that to me would just be like, are you kidding me? I really hope that's not the case. But that's the thing about sports these days. We have so much technology that can track every little thing that goes on in the game, including how the the equipment is performing. And that's what you're able to do with StatCast. I mean, that's the bottom line. They can tell you about the drag. They can tell you about, you know, how far it's flying, you know, the ballpark effect. I mean, you know how far the ball's been flying all year long at Minute Maid Park or at the Nationals Yard or St. Louis. Bush three. And, of course, now going to Yankee Stadium. How electric is Yankee Stadium going to be? As the Yankees did their job, they needed to get one. And, by the way, yours truly was in Reno over the weekend, the biggest little city in the world. You know, I always do, we do a guy's trip, always during the Raiders' bye week. And this was the Raiders' bye week. So we were up in Reno having a good time. And I looked up, game one, and I saw Commander Cody's boy, Grinky, on the mound. And I went, oh, yeah. Saw that coming a mile away. So the Yankees get the win in game one, which is huge for them. And now they head back home. Now you're going to get Garrett Cole. But, you know, the Yankees in their ballpark, they're a few swings away, and next thing you know, they're putting a lot of crooked numbers up on the board. This series has been a lot of fun to watch. You've got two absolute monster teams. It's the matchup we wanted. 
107 wins versus 103 wins. And the Yankees throughout the year, because I think they knew that they're not going to catch the Astros. So they played the ah, home field advantage doesn't matter. Well, now see. They did their job in Houston, taking one. You know, watching the National League games, I just have a hard time. And with the Nationals, you know, they came in the underdogs. Their pitching is phenomenal. All these people that got on the closer Hudson for missing the game because of the birth of, I believe it's his third child. You should all be ashamed of yourselves if it's any of you out there criticizing. I mean, that 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 that's unbelievable. Sean Doolittle, our guy, front of the program, he had the best statement about it. So Sean Doolittle was asked, per The Athletic, that there should only be one response to Daniel Hudson. Quote, if your reaction to someone having a baby isn't anything other than congratulations, I hope everybody is healthy, you're an a-hole. And he says, <laughs> I'm not going to say it even though we can because we're not governed by the FCC anymore. Uh, yeah, you're an a-hole. But I got to tell you, the Nats, a team that traditionally hasn't been able to get over the hump and just bad luck has always surrounded them. I mean, St. Louis, they can't hit. And now you got arguably your, got your best guy on the mound, so I can't wait to talk to B.A. You got your best guy on the mound. You got Strauss, you, you got a 2 nothing lead heading back home. It's going to be crazy in D.C. tonight in our nation's capital. And you got your best guy going, Strasburg. I'm going to tell you, you go up 3-0, we all know if it wasn't for Dave Roberts and that stolen base, we're probably still talking about no one's ever come back from 3-0. Yankees, Red Sox back in the day. You go up 3-0, your percentages, you're, you know, you're going to close it out. And the Cardinals are not a powerhouse. You get up early with Strasburg on the mound, and next thing you know, the doubt comes creeping in. And it just sets up perfect for you. Why wouldn't you want to have Steven Strasburg on the mound at home with a 2-0 lead? They're going to be jacked up. The postseason is the best. You can't beat it. Now, I wish the games weren't five hours long. But you know what? That's what happens when you you use that many. We saw 15 different pitchers used, nine by the Yankees, tying the postseason record with the Rays, who did it, oh, yeah, this year in game five of the ALDS. 11 innings, four, four hours, and 49 minutes. We actually have the breakdown of the time of every single game. Every single game. And you know what? I don't think it's going to shock you. I really don't, of how long these things are going. But, you know, that's, that's what happens when you use a lot of pitchers. And I think for you as a baseball fan, and especially if you're like a Yankees fan or you're at, you don't care, just get it to the house. How, how do we get it to the house and get to the World Series? That's all that matters. If it's going to take a little extra time, but we're trying to figure it out. Like, if you use nine pitchers, and let's just say what? By the time the manager goes out, takes a guy out, 
Guy's got to come in from the bullpen. You've got probably, what, two minutes, 30 seconds, uh, national TV time. Then the guy's got to face that first bat. It's like five minutes. Well, nine times five, that's just one team. Now you can see why the game's going four hours and 49 minutes. Hopefully tonight this National League game will not be going on. But we'll give you the times of the games. It is pretty remarkable. What a good time. Hey, we also got some good news for an athletic. That's right. Some good news about an A's starter. We'll give it to you next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. You know, one thing we look at next year is what the rotation is going to look like for the green and gold. Frankie Montas was 9-2 with a 2.63 ERA last year. Now, obviously, suspended for 80 games. What would the outlook have been if Frankie ended up being your guy in the wild card game? Much would have rather had Frankie and his electric stuff, even though Sean and I would throw the ball well. I still would have had Frankie out there. I still am going to be thinking to myself this entire offseason, you've had two back-to-back wild card games. You didn't pitch Mike Fires in either of them. He was your best pitcher this year, other than Frankie. And you're 0-2. Just saying. But Frankie today, and this is why I talked about how this one, the start that he had against the Angels. What did it mean? Well, of course, for the A's, they're trying to get the top wild card spot. But for him personally, it was about having one more outing, having a good feeling about yourself, then heading into the offseason where you need to get back on track and be ready to go and be ready to lead, lead a pitching staff. So in his first start, Melissa Lockhart had it, uh, also from The Athletic. God, we just be saying that about a lot of people these days. In his first start in the Dominican Winter League, Frankie tossed five hitless innings, striking out four and walking three. So, yes, that is something that like seeing. He made a mistake. You take your punishment. It's been collectively bargained. So he took that punishment, and now he'll be ready to go for 2020. I'm telling you, this offseason is going to go fast. And before you know it, it's going to be Fan Fest, and then it's going to be spring training, and then it is going to be on. Like, everybody better come ready to compete at spring training. Because these five jobs, these five jobs are not going to be easy. I mean, this rotation is going to be young, other than fires. It's going to be young, and it's going to be talented. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Who's going to come to spring training ready to win jobs and break camp with the athletics? But that's good news on Frankie. So we told you last night's game, four hours and 49 minutes. So the 2019 regular season average was three hours and 10 minutes. 
and the at one. So the regular season was 310, and the average length of a ninth inning game was 305, which is the highest since 2017. We have only had two games so far in front of me. I have the time of every single playoff game. Only two have been under three hours. The National League wildcard game, which had seven runs scored, was two hours and 55 minutes. And then game two of the NLCS between the Cards and the Nats, only four runs were scored, two hours and 57 minutes. So even though they weren't three hours, they were sniffing it. And it just goes to show when you start dealing with so many relievers, but every pitch means something. Every single, I mean, you're on the edge of your seat if you're a fan of one of these teams. And it's crazy. It doesn't matter the score either. It can be a couple runs. Like, for example, game two of the NLDS was two hours. This is actually the shortest one. Two hours and 46 minutes on three runs scored. They had a game. Game one was four hours and 22 minutes. <laughs> it's a long time, man. It is a long time. But you don't care. It's when it's your team and you're winning. And that, you know, getting this thing to the house and this World Series is going to be unique. There is no question about it. You're going to have a super team from the American League going up against a team that it doesn't matter which team it is. You're going to be the underdog role. You're going to be, that's the bottom line. You're going to go in really with nothing to lose because nobody's going to give you a shot. Now, they are talking about a potential big four now for the Nats. I mean, you think about how the Nats, would the Nats start out like 19 and 31 or something like that? 19 and 31. And now we're talking about how scary they are. Because you know you got Mad Max. How about Annabelle Sanchez taking the no-no deep? You still got Patrick Corbin and Steven Stroxford. They're talking about the Nationals having a big four. And that's that's no day at the beach. The only other time two pitchers have gone back-to-back no-hitters into the seventh inning. Oh, yeah, it was Annabelle Sanchez and Max Scherzer when they were with the Detroit Tigers in 2013 in the ALCS against the Red Sox. But how good is that? With the pressure on, spotlight on, on the road, you get back-to-back outings where your starter takes you into the seventh inning with a no-hitter. The confidence you have versus these teams where your starter goes out and gives you two innings, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, this we're, we're going to have to get this 27 outs. James Paxton goes two and a third. Only gives up one, though. But then look what happens to you. It's just bullpen guy after bullpen guy after bull. The advantage to the teams that starters go deep 
is huge in the postseason. Brian Anderson from TBS will join us in moments. You were scurrying around, Commander. Because we talked about the James Paxton first inning runs. Now, he did not give up one yesterday, but he— Very bad this year. That's why they like the opener in front of him. He allowed 30 first inning runs this year, most in Major League Baseball. They threw the graphic up yesterday, and John Smoltz was talking about it. There was also something interesting about Paxton I mentioned to you earlier. He was always, like, tipping his glove when he knew he was going to throw the knuckle curve. This is, like, back in April, April 10th. And then six days later, his entire mecha- his mechanics changed on his windup and his glove and everything. Apparently, former Astro and Yankees um, special advisor, along with Nick Swisher, friend of the program, saw that he uh, saw in video that he was doing that. So Carlos Beltran told him to fix that, and then Paxton kind of reinvented himself. And he's, you know, he's pitched better. I mean, the first inning thing is still a woes, but – what he's done has been pretty incredible, uh, changing his and, – and Aaron Boone even said yesterday he doesn't think that um, Paxton was tipping his pitches, although that was kind of a narrative being floated out there that that's probably why he lasted so short is because the Astros are – they realized he was tipping his pitches, but I don't think he was. I think it was just a, wasn't a great outing for him. So our, uh, our, our friend Carlos Beltran has put it out there because you've got eight openings right now. Eight openings for managers. That's one of the biggest. Like I think the biggest ever was ten. That's a huge percentage of your teams in your game are looking for new head guys. And Carlos Beltran has been somebody. It's been a a hot name out there because he's still young enough, and would just stop playing in 2017. Now he's in his 40s, obviously early 40s. But you know, being able to relate to the player today. And to be able to walk in, you know, you got to think, you're going to walk into spring training, can you command the room? And I think a guy with his career can walk in and command a room right now. But Beltron's got it going so good. He said, I only want to manage in New York. Think about that. How many people can say, you know what, I know there's an opening in San Francisco, I know there's an opening in San Diego. I know there's an opening in Philly. You know, there's all these openings, and you basically say, it's New York or bust. Well, here's one of the reasons why Carlos Beltran can do that. Because in his career, you might not really think about this. He's a terrific player. We've made a case for him to be a Hall of Famer. I remember a couple years ago, bringing this up, going, you know, Carlos Beltran could walk down the street no one knows who the hell he is. But yet in his career, and why he can sit there and say, if it's not New York, it's not for me. He made almost $222 million in his career. $222 million. That's one of the highest ever. I mean, that's crazy. Very good player. But, I mean, you just start looking at these numbers. By the time he was 28, he was making $11 million, then 13 then 13 then 18 19 19 19 13 13 15 15 15 And you look up and go, oh, my God, this guy. You look at what he made versus a bunch of Hall of Famers. And I do believe he'll get in. But when you make $222 million in your career, you can – you you can pick and choose whatever the hell you want to do. He was uh he got he gets a lot of credit for the Astros winning that World Series in 2017 for what he helped do in the video room. Now he didn't have a great the greatest year, but what he did with Altuve and Bregman and Springer and all those guys to help them get better and break down video, 
that's one of the reasons why everyone likes him. He relates to the players so well, and he's only 42. And we're looking at – I completely forgot he was a Texas Ranger. I, I, that year that he was there for Houston, I completely forgot he was even there. Oh, by the way, that, that, that year you talked about, his, his, his last year with the Astros – as he helped them win the World Series title. That's just a cool $16 million at 40 years old. He got paid. And that's always been my, my, my you know, this this generation that, that we are going to see so many of these great players retire, right? Like Greg Maddox can go be a pitching coach, like a pseudo-pitching coach for UNLV where his son was playing. Why? Because he made over $200 million. Remember, people were like, Piazza's going to be a great broadcaster. Well, yeah, Piazza needed the money, but Piazza, well, he may need the money. Whatever, that, 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 the Italian soccer thing did not go well. Well, as we found out, he, uh, when we had Eric Harris on a few weeks ago. Uh, Piazza, still live, he lives over in Italy. He flew back for Tommy Lasorda's birthday. So I think Piazza's living a good life if he's living in Italy still. Yeah, a lot of these guys, they've made so, it's not like, you know, not saying yesteryear players did make good money, but a lot of them got into broadcasting because they still want to be in the game and still need the paycheck. These guys, Jesus. So many of these guys made over $200 million. Uh, the one guy that comes to mind for me with that, with broadcasting the paycheck, I don't think A-Rod needs it. I think he just enjoys it. Oh, true. Oh, A-Rod's they're, made so much money. They're, it's they're, stupid. Him and David Ortiz had a good segment yesterday. Ortiz lit up a cigar on the on the set, and he, he said something. He goes, enjoy that cigar. And he goes, we ain't, I ain't coming back for, like, pretty much saying he thinks the series is over in New York. He goes, I ain't coming back to Houston. So Big Poppy does? Big Poppy said that, yeah. And A Rod kind of, you know, obviously A Rod disagrees with him because you know Yankee Red he's Sox he's an employee rivalry. of the yeah. Yankees. Well, I mean that's, and that one of the most shocking things. You know what? Brian Anderson's going to join us. I'll also give you a conversation I had with a former Yankee employee about Alex Rodriguez. It absolutely shocked me. That and B A on the call tonight for TBS. We'll talk about it next, right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, Brian Anderson from TBS, also the voice of the Brewers, will be calling the game tonight with Ron Darling. Join me earlier today, so we're going to have that for you. Oh, by the way, we will be talking about American Idol. Get ready. But before we do that, so, Billy Epler is the GM of the Angels, and he came from the Yankees. And I get to know these guys because all these years of doing the pre- and post-game show from the visiting GM's booth. So, always when I'm finishing up the pre-game show, these guys all walk in, you get to meet them, talk to them. And there was one time I actually watched a game with Billy Epler. And he's a really nice guy. And he's from San Diego. I'm a little bit older than him, but we knew some of the same people. So we just started rapping, and we started talking about A-Rod. Because the reason why A-Rod is still around the Yankees, I thought, was because that was in his contract. And Billy Epler went, oh, no, no. That's part of it, but they love him. I'm like, what? They really love A-Rod? After that whole debacle where he's lying to everybody that he's on something, and then he get he gets suspended, and really, and they go, nope, he's great with the young players. They love having him down there at spring training. He relates to the guys. Everybody looks up to him because let's face it, he had a great career, and I don't think they view him these young players because we view him as a bad guy. 
right? We view him as the guy that I can't remember it was Esquire or whatever magazine where he was like taking these pictures of him in the mirror looking at him. So, I mean, A-Rod loves him some A-Rod. But I guess he's great with the young players and the Yankees love having him around. And the thing about all the money that he's made, he's not he's not doing a job that's every day. You know, he's doing Sunday night baseball. So he's still, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, what do you do? You make all this money, you retire, but you got a whole nother life to live. What are you going to do? And I know he's had that show where I don't even know if it's still out there. He tries to help athletes who are in financial troubles. You know, there's other things that A-Rod's trying to do. But, I mean, you get the gig for Sunday night baseball, that's perfect. You work one day a week. You show up on, like, what, Saturday? Like, they get to meet with the managers on Saturday because, you know, they'll talk about what they get on Sunday night. Buster only talks about it all the time on the Baseball Tonight podcast, how they all get together with the managers, just like we do football with the head coaches. I mean, you're really working two days a week. And now he does the Fox show, and he's good on there. Remember, now, back in the day when A-Rod got popped, there was a, it was a loosey-goosey era, as he said. That was still one of my favorite quotes ever is when he, when he, when he dropped it. It's a loosey-goosey era. Oh, I will never forget when they had him on ESPN. And they asked about Bonds and Clements. And A-Rod said, hey, listen, I made my own bed. I got to live with it. Their, their stories are their stories. My story is my story. But, you know, I, 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 can just, I can just focus on me. It was actually a pretty good comment, right? I mean, he owns up to it. I did it. I got caught. Nothing else I can really say. And, I, I, I you know. I can't comment on Bonds or, or – or, I got my own issues. I'm not worried about Bonds or Clements. By the way, seeing him in the clubhouse uh, the day before the wild card game was still pretty cool. I mean, when A-Rod got, first got in the media, I wasn't doing this yet. I mean, I was still young. And now seeing him in the – when we saw him in the clubhouse when we were doing our interviews, still pretty cool to see. That's like, hey, that's Alex Rodriguez. He's one of the best players when I was growing up as a kid. And here he is in the A's clubhouse interviewing players. And something that you forget, he's a monster. Like, he's a really, really big dude. Like, like when he was young, he was just tall, and but I mean he's a he's a big. I mean he filled out. He's a big guy. I mean he really looks like a linebacker. I mean he's like six four, two hundred and forty pounds or whatever he is. Yeah, you forget like when you look at uh, now. Obviously, the big hurt's massive. I mean the big hurt is a huge man, and you know we always see a big poppy. Look how small poppy is became. Look how small, when they're all standing up next to each other, look how small Big Poppy is compared to A-Rod and, and especially compared to Frank Thomas. We always thought Big Poppy, what do they have, Frank? So they have Frank, baseball reference. Now, obviously, this is when he was playing, 6'5", 240. I guarantee he's three bills. But he carries it well because of his, of his massive frame. Big Poppy, 6'3". I don't know about that. Six three two thirty. Just didn't, will they be on? They won't be on tonight. Because it'll be no, TBS. It'll be, it'll be TBS with like Casey Stern and Jimmy Rollins and all that. Oh, my man, Pedro Martinez. Pe- Pedro's really good on TV. I mean, people. I know some people probably don't like him, but I think Pedro's great on TV. I think he makes that. Oh, show, I love Pedro. I think he makes that show go. I mean, you got Sheffield and Sheffield and and Jimmy and and J Roll. You know, Oakland native. Yeah, I. They don't. Pedro says something. I, I mean, I don't get much out of and and Sheffield was a monster, but I don't get much out of him. Uh, Granderson was on the other day. He was pretty good doing the post game with it. it was I think it was him, Pedro, 
J Roll and and Sheffield on there, and he was and Granderson did pretty well. I mean, he played for the Marlins there, so he has a lot of free time to do this stuff. All righty. Earlier today, Brian Anderson, who was calling the game tonight for TBS, was very kind to come on here on A's Cast Live to get us ready for the Nationals and the Cardinals. Game three coming up later today. And what's funny is we started talking about American Idol. Well, Brian Anderson will be on the call tonight for TBS exclusive 2019 NLCS coverage. Game three between the Cardinals and the Nationals. One of the great voices that we have in the game. He also does the Milwaukee Brewers. B.A., how are you? I'm doing great. Just the calm before the storm here in our nation's capital. So we, we've had, um, we're sharing the hotel with the American Idol audition site. So it's been a <laughs> zoo around here. I'm thinking about... Maybe popping in and singing a few bars. They've got, I don't know, I don't think I've room for a middle-aged, you know, guy who's balding has a boiler, but I think the pop culture is ready for me. So what would you be belting out if you got your opportunity on American Idol? You know, I'd probably go grunge, go back to some Pearl Jam. You know, I think that's ready for a comeback. Maybe some Nirvana. Get oh, I, loud. I love a little Eddie Vedder <laughs> going for you. I love so, so, yeah, exactly. so set the scene for us. Like, on, on television – you know, because I, I, I've got 13-year-old twin girls, right? So they still love this show. So it looks like auditions. It's, it, is it as crazy as it looks on television? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, my daughter's a singer. She's a, a sophomore in college. She's a singer. And, you know, she's debated whether to do this for years. She's never done it. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of it is um, obviously made for TV. You know, there's a lot of staging of moments and, just while we were in our production meeting this morning, I think the judges pulled up, you know, in a limousine, and so they had people lining it, but uh, and cheering. But but there are people everywhere, contestants. You know, you can tell like there's they're dressed up. There's a lot of people in costumes and signs, and just trying to get noticed. And so they're all kind of waiting. And then right down below us here is the confessional room. So that's kind of interesting where. <laughs> They're capturing all this video, of course, for their television show. And, you know, who knows what will make it to the final cut. But, um, yeah, man, there's a lot of people trying to make dreams come true. And then just about a mile from here, there's a baseball team trying to make a dream dream come true here in D.C. So this is all really interesting right now. We're, we're kind of the epicenter of entertainment, I think. Well, I mean, if you're the Nationals and you're up two zip, and you got Steven Strasburg on the mound. I know how good Flaherty is with the Cardinals, but you talk about a dream start for a team that has struggled so much in postseason play. You have to love it where the Nationals are right now heading into game three. Yeah, and I think for that reason, and we're going to talk about this tonight, now all of a sudden, you know, to play this game as the underdog is the best place to play this game when there are no expectations. And I think, the Nationals going into St. Louis, winning those two games in the fashion that they won them with Sanchez and Scherzer, um, in a weird way, puts an incredible amount of pressure on them right now. Um, they've not, obviously, they've never been to the NLCS. This will be the first game in the NLCS in the history of uh, this franchise, obviously. Um, they had some moments back in the city itself as, as Washington. That's the franchise they ended up as the Minnesota Twins. They had some success as the Expos, which was uh, the precursor to this franchise. So, yeah, this is all new. This is a brand-new experience, and I think there is a little bit of pressure. And the other part of that, they're going to match up against Jack Flaherty. So, suddenly the Cardinals have their ace on the mound, 
Um, he's been great. <clears throat> all three of his starts in this postseason are going to come on the road, and he's pitched well in all of them. Took a loss in um, in Atlanta, but then came back and, and won Game Five. So you know, it, it, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to recommend. Um, I think the Cardinals right now, they've even Mike Schilt talked about always taking the 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 off road. They never have been on the easy road. They had to go to the final day of the regular season to win the division. Um, they were facing a position twice. And uh, they pushed back the Braves and won that series. So now they're on the road with their backs up against the wall. And I just think it's probably, you know, I don't, it's not their ideal place, but I think it's a place they're comfortable and that they've been before. There is a lineup change, I'll tell you. Uh, Carlos Martinez is going to start today. So um, I'm sorry, Jose Martinez, I beg your pardon. Jose Martinez will be in the starting lineup for the Cardinals. So that's big news. Um, he's going to be in there in right field. Carpenter is going to sit. So the one guy who's been swinging the bat well for St. Louis is going to get his chance tonight against Strauss. Yeah, because they desperately need to find out how to score some runs because in these first two games, it's no shot. And then now you got Strasburg in front of a, a, a hostile crowd. Uh, you, the Cardinals need to play some runs early to get some confidence going, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, that's the case in every game in the postseason, you, especially when you're the road team and you're trying to uh, – um, you know, you're trying to quiet down the crowd. But I think for the Cardinals, just the fact they haven't swung the bats at all. I mean, their position players, their starting position players have two hits in the series. Uh, Martinez has the other two. They only have four in the series. So I think for them, they've, they've got to, you know, they've got to release the valve a little bit early. They've got to get some guys on base and, and collect some base hits and have some success early, but you're trying to do that against Steven Strasburg. So, I mean, that's that's a tall task, man. He's been their best guy. So Scherzer is going to get Cy Young votes, but the most consistent starting pitcher they've had all year has been Steven Strasburg, and he's had great moments in the postseason out of the pen already in the wild card game. He's made excellent starts. Um, he's fully in this postseason now, and so it's a, it's going to be a great game. I think I think it's going to be another low-scoring game. The weather could not be better. I mean, it's going to be in the 60s. It's perfect. There are no clouds in the sky. They're calling for some rain on, on Wednesday uh, for game five if it goes that far. But these first two nights here are going to be ideal. No shadows to deal with because it's a night game. Um, so I think all the, the, the setting is well, well set up for – you know, both teams, if you want to be positive about it, you're the Cardinals, you're kind of the underdog, you got nothing to lose, you weren't supposed to make it this far. And then for the Nats, uh, you've got your guns lined up, not just Strasburg today, you got Corbin tomorrow. You certainly would have Scherzer available in the bullpen if you got into a closeout situation where you, you know, let's say you're up 3-0 or, or 3-1 moving in back to St. Louis or whatever it might be, um, you've got a chance to bring on Scherzer to kind of close the door if you want. Um, so, yeah, I think it's all kind of set up. Pitching has been outstanding, and now we'll see who makes the big plays and who gets those key hits uh, when it matters. So far, it's been Washington. Yeah, these playoffs have been great. And then switching over to the American League, I mean, you talk about a heavyweight matchup between the Astros and the Yankees, 107 wins against 103 wins. You know, the Yankees come out in game one, and they get it done. That was big for them. That's mission accomplished. And then yesterday, the walk-off home run. It's been a lot of fun so far watching these two big boys in the ALCS. Yeah, and I was finally able to sit down and watch last night. I haven't, you know, we're, we've been on the National League and with travel days, so it was great to uh, to dive in. You know, we had the AL last year, and Ron Darling and I called the 
the Red Sox Astros ALCS. So not much has changed there with them. Um, Verlander looked great. I mean, obviously with Cole now lined up huge win yesterday for the Astros to be able to, to split it home after losing the first game. And now they've got Cole lined up uh, to, to go to New York. They're going to have to make a decision on game four. Uh, that to me is going to be probably the the series deciding decision for AJ Hinch. Do they they use a Wade Miley? Do they try to bring Grinky back on on short rest? I suppose it all uh, depends on how cold goes tomorrow and whether they're up or down in the series. But you know it's a seven game series. A lot can happen. We put a lot of emphasis on the starting pitchers as always, but it almost always comes down to the bullpens, and that's what happened yesterday. The starters checked each other and. Um, you know, I mean, Paxton was out of the game quickly in the third inning, so then it became a bullpen game for the Yankees, and you know, it, it, that's where it all ends up, and, and so, you know, both bullpens are formidable, and same goes uh, for this series as well. You know, I think the Nationals took a lot of heat over their bullpen, rightly so, but the way they've pitched now that Hudson is back, and the way they use a starter on a side day as a reliever, um, I think their A bullpen, their winning bullpen, is as good as any bullpen out there. I mean, I, I would match up Doolittle, uh, Rainey, Doolittle, Hudson, and a starter on a side day with any bullpen that's that's going in the postseason. So um, that's where it usually ends up, and that's uh, probably going to determine who advances to the World Series. Yeah, Hudson taking heat over missing the game for the birth of his daughter. Where we're were you surprised how much heat he took? It was kind of ridiculous. I didn't know there was heat because I'm not really on social media. I'm not, you know, just like this time of year, we're so busy. But I did hear that there were some really awful takes, and I know even Sean Doolittle felt compelled to, to comment after the game, and I, I, I think his comments were perfect. Um, yeah, it's come on, man. I mean, it's the birth of a child. Uh, I got – no issues with it. We didn't make any issue of it on our broadcast. <clears throat> we got the facts, and we made sure that we knew what the plan was. I mean, that's really what was compelling for us now that we heard that he wasn't going to be available and how they're going to plan on use, using their pen, whatever. Um, and turns out they only needed Sean Doolittle that day because Sanchez went seven and two-thirds. But, yeah, it's, um, you know, I don't know. I, people can say what they want. They're entitled to their opinions. But I, I wouldn't say Daniel Hudson feels heat. I hope he doesn't because the people that matter to him uh, and his his bosses basically gave him clearance and make sure they, you know, took care of him. I would say the only thing that bothers me, if anybody should be getting heat, it's the Nationals for not sending a plane for him. I was shocked they didn't send a plane to pick him up and bring him back. I mean, I, I, because he said he flew in on a commercial flight on the Southwest Airlines flight from Phoenix where he lives to St. Louis. And that to me is just like, I can't believe it. I'm shocked. I mean, the Brewers flew Christian Yelich on a private plane just to be at the celebration when they clinched. I can't imagine being in a postseason game when an owner – and maybe there's other circumstances, but an owner wouldn't be able to find a private plane or go lease out a private jet instead of leaving your closer in the hands of a commercial flight. I mean, that to me was probably the biggest news story that nobody's talking about. Yeah, maybe likes the pretzels on Southwest. Hey, by the way, <laughs> uh, if you're going to become an American Idol, you're going to need to get on social media and we're going to have to build your platform here. I know I'm, I'm pretty bad at it. I got to tell you, I, I avoided Twitter and uh, Instagram for so long. And then when I started 
you know, when I went full-time with Turner, so I've been a freelancer with Turner for years, going back to the OA season, and, you know, the Brewers never really, they weren't too big on it, and so I kind of just, it wasn't important to me. I was on Twitter, but only in a, pu- a private way, not in a public way, and then once I started uh, doing the NCAA tournament with Turner Sports, they, they kind of pushed me into public Twitter. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I try to, tw- I mean, my opinion on it is I'm, you know, I'll retweet some great articles and, and just positive stuff i'm not into there's so much negativity in this world um obviously people feel like they can just pop on my twitter and my dms and give me a piece of their mind typically it's filled up with people who you know feel like i'm rooting for the other team which is always comical and you get that every year but you know other than the, the access people feel like they have to you and get to say whatever they want with an assumed name it's kind of troublesome in that regard, but uh, I just dis- dismiss it this time of year. There's really no time for me to to look through it, and and I have my Twitter account, which feeds you know all my feeds of like newspaper articles and you know things like on digital platforms and the beat writers and whatnot. And I'm a big fan of the Bleacher Report app because it kind of keeps that all organized too. So I, I do I read a lot online and read a lot through Twitter, but I don't use my personal Twitter account to argue with fans. Uh, I'm not really into that part of the world. Brian, we always appreciate the time, especially on game day. Have a great call tonight, and you know we'll all be watching. Yeah, man, appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Always great to be with you guys. Keep up the great work, okay? One of the good guys in Major League Baseball. And you know, it's hard to believe, but there are people out there who do think that these national broadcasters are like rooting against their team or wants the other team to win. I mean, it just shows you just how dumb people can be. I think the most famous one is probably Joe Buck. Everyone thinks Joe Oh, he hates the Giants. The, the best is when he changed his Twitter bio to said, I probably hate your team. And I was like, see, he's playing off it so well. And, and you're right. That's and it's those... happening in football for him. It's happening in baseball for him. Like, uh, you know, he and Troy Aikman are calling the big games, and you can see, oh, he he, 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 he rather had the Cowboys win than the Eagles. No. Yeah, that, it's always my favorite. It's, you're right. It was the Giants fans. Always like, he hates the Giants. He hates the Giants. I mean, here's the thing. You really start – your life changes when you get into broadcasting. Now, obviously, if you're if you're working for a team, you're going to be all in for the team. It's your business, right? It's like your workplace. Everybody who has a job, you want your company to succeed, and you want your company to do well. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, yeah, I work here, and I hope it fails. No, but when you're a national person, your job is to do what's right for the broadcast. So this idea that all these broadcasters, it just shows you how moronic each sports town is. Because each sports town feels that certain guys, they're rooting against my team. Like Brian Anderson, who does a great job. I, 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 I mean, it's just preposterous to think that he, he's like, God, I really hope the Nats win today. Oh, I really hope the Cardinals. You root for a good series. As a broadcaster, you want it to be compelling. And I have some numbers for you that tell you, uh-oh, prior to the 2019 postseason, 
22 of the 25 teams, that's 88%, to win the first two games of a best-of-seven series on the road have gone on to win the series. 88%. The exceptions to the rule are the 1985 Cardinals, who lost to the Royals in seven games because of a bad game six call, the 1986 Red Sox, who lost to the Mets in seven games in the World Series, and the 1996 Atlanta Braves, who lost to the Yankees in the seventh game of the World Series. So, once again, if you get up two games on the road, you take the first two games of a seven-game series. It's happened 25 times. 22 of the 25 brought it home at 88%, except the 85 Cardinals, 86 Red Sox, and 1996 Atlanta Braves. But the only way the Cardinals are getting back in this thing is they got a hit. Now, remember in Game 5 against the Braves when they put up 10 runs in the first inning? The Cardinals went 8 for 17 in at-bats with runners in scoring position in Game 5 of the NLDS against the Braves. Rest of the postseason, you take that game out. The rest of the postseason, runners in scoring position, they're hitting a buck 08. How have they gotten this far? I mean, they can't hit. And you heard, is that breaking news? Jose Martinez is going to be in the lineup? I mean, the Cardinals are just two for 55. That's batting 036, .036 with no extra base hits, no RBIs in the series, other than Jose Martinez, who's two for two with a double and an RBI. The rest of the Cardinals, 255. That's a .036 batting average. So, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Like, Flaherty has had an incredible year. Jack Flaherty has been money. His last 18 starts, he's 8-4 and four with a 1.13 ERA, and that includes postseason. But it's not going to matter if they can't score. I mean, you go out and put a couple runs up on the board and Strasburg gives you six, you're going to be looking, you're going to be looking at being down 3 nothing. And the Nats, who were the team that couldn't get over the hump. Look how many managers they've fired. Look how much tragedy they've had in their young postseason lives as the Nationals. This could just be the time. And the scary thing is, their big four, can they compete? Can their big four go up against the Astros? Can they? Could the Nats really win the World Series? Would that be like the ultimate upset? I mean, the Dodgers and the Astros came into this thing huge favorites. Astros winning 107. Dodgers winning 106. Dodgers are out. I mean, if you go back, I don't have the numbers in front of me anymore. I don't know what, like, the largest underdog ever to win the World Series is. But I would have to think the Nats would be up there. I mean, we knew they had pitching, but they were a wild card team. 
And that's why the wild card teams are so tough. They are so tough to play. They've been playing playoff baseball for, for weeks on end. That's the whole thing. Oh, by the way, you can text me 510-897-1322. That's 510-897-1322. This just came in from the 559 area code. Cards are playing like the A's right now. And you know what? You're right, 559. Because if you remember, whatever it was, the last seven or eight games for the athletics, including that wild card game, they were just two for their last 49 with runners in scoring position. They did not hit. Do you have the answer for the biggest underdog, Commander? I found an article from Fox Sports, and it looks like it's the 03 Marlins over the Yankees is what they have ranked here. The 03 Marlins over the Yankees. So that, that would probably be them going into the series. The Yankees were favored. Yeah, the, they, and they also talk about the payroll. The Marlins payroll there is $54 million, and the Yankees was 164 so $110 million difference in payroll. Hmm. I'll keep looking to see if I can find a better well, one. Well, you know what I'm looking at is when it when it first started, right? Let's say the Monday after the season. So they would have lined everybody up. And this is before the wild card game. So the National League wild card game would have been Tuesday. Obviously, the American League was on Wednesday. On that Monday when the season ended and they gave you the, 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 the favorites, I wonder where the Nationals were. I bet they were far down. Well, yeah, you got to you got to tie in the the lack of postseason success, and I mean that could be a factor. But they're playing so well in the second half of the year that they probably weren't the lowest. I mean, I'm sure that they probably thought that the Rays or A's would have the lowest odds to win the World Series because they figured they wouldn't get through Houston. Well, we're gonna have to figure that out. Also, this happened today earlier. I was following this on Twitter. This is confirmed. The Arlington Naval. The Army-Navy Country Club in Arlington, Virginia, confirmed that Cardinals pitching coach, and I don't understand why he's golfing on the day of a game, Mike Maddox had two hole-in-ones at their course today. The odds of doing that in the same round have been calculated at $67 million to one. Two hole-in-ones today? Yeah, at the Army-Navy Country Club in Arlington, Virginia. Good for Mike. But it's a game, though. Why is he golfing? It's just, he's not playing. Yeah, but he's a coach. you gotta, you got to – he should be helping Jack Flaherty through this. Said he's out there hitting golf ball. I mean, two on ones is pretty incredible. It's that's sixty-seven million to one. Hey, you tee off in the morning. It's late. The game's not till later on today. What is he supposed to be in Jack Flaherty's room, going over film with them? Pulling up that iPad. They can be going over. Oh, stuff. how about the Astros and their iPads? Oh, do you see? Oh, we'll get into that. We have so much to get into, and also coming up next, an old fan favorite, Northern California's own. Johnny Gomes will join us right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep, Bam going back, looking up, he will watch it fly! And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back, goal for Yelich! Cody Bellinger hits one out. He does! He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, my guy, Bill James. I didn't see this. But he had it on Twitter yesterday. The Godfather. 
So far, the world of sabermetrics slash analytics has made 0% progress in convincing announcers to stop quoting absurdly small data samples. Bill, come on, buddy. I get it. But if you're a broadcaster and you've got to cover four hours and 49 minutes, that's a lot of time you got to cover, Bill James. So these guys, think about that. You, you, you're viewing it as, you know, the players, they're out on the field. It's a long time. You're a broadcaster. you got to cover four hours and 49 minutes. That's a lot of talking especially for the local guys who do a pregame show. I mean, that, that's, that, that's being at the yard a long day. And it, it's such, you know, it's a small sample size. Well, we still got to talk about something, Bill. You can sit back on your couch on Twitter and talk about all the metrics you want. These poor guys got to cover five hours of a broadcast, so you're going to use numbers you may not like. But there really are some great numbers out there. And Carlos Correa, my God. In 14 ALCS games, is this any good? He's got an 881 OPS with two walk-off hits. Derek Jeter, in 54 ALCS games, has an OPS of 751 and never had a walk-off hit. Now, he had some big hits. He said he had a big one in the World Series as the calendar moved into November. Yeah, I mean, Correa is what, just turned 25 years old? The Astros' ninth walk-off hit in the postseason are tied with the Cardinals-Braves for the third most in MLB history, trailing only the Yankees, 23, and the Red Sox, 12. Getting the leadoff man aboard in the playoffs is absurdly difficult. In the regular season, the leadoff man of an inning has a slash line of a batting average of 247, on base 311, slugging 436. In the postseason, drops all the way down to 223, 277, 419. Well, now you're fishing the now you're facing the best pitchers. And now you're facing a lot of guys throwing strikes. So you're not going to walk your way on too many times. He's definitely one of my favorite players of all time. I will never forget coming back from Japan in 2012. Of course, as it always is, you play the Seattle Mariners. And here you got King Felix for the second straight game as the A's would open up against the Mariners in Tokyo in 2012. And then, of course, they'd open up against them for the home opener. There's a period of time it just felt like the A's played the Mariners like 40 games a season. It was crazy. And Johnny Gomes was my pregame guest for the very first game at home in Oakland. And I will never forget, he goes, we're a playoff team. And I was like, what, 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 what? You're what? 
Playoff to playoffs? Where's my Jim Mora? Playoffs? What are you talking about playoffs? I was like, and he was right. That 2012 team is going to go down as one of the most fun and loved A's teams of all time. Even though they lost in Game 5 in the NLDS, they did not lead the division at all. They're the only team to win their division and never once led the division until the very last out of the game. And then now they led the division and won the division. And they just slowly reeled in the Texas Rangers. And I remember doing the postgame show just saying, just keep reeling them in. You got to make that last series in Oakland mean something. Or or you're just going to be the wild card. It was a wild ride. It was a fun ride. It was really probably the most fun I've ever had in my career. It reminds me of the We Believe Warriors. The We Believe Warriors, they beat the Dallas Mavericks, but then they lose in the next round. But the way they're loved, you think they would have won the NBA title. It's the same way with the 2012 Oakland Athletics. So he was getting on a plane earlier from Northern California, heading back to Arizona. He's a World Series champion, great leader, friend of the program. Here's my conversation earlier today with our old friend, Johnny Gomes. Well, now he's joining us here on A's Cast Live. He's one of our favorite athletics of all time. He's a World Series champion. The great Johnny Gomes is with us. Johnny, how are you, my friend? Just such an honor to talk to you guys, and this is just a great time of year. We had college football with baseball playoffs, NFL football with playoffs. Awesome time to be locked in as a sports fan. Yeah, I just got back from Reno this weekend, and when you're up there in the sports book and you got all this going, it's like it's like the greatest thing ever when you have all this football and all this baseball. And, Johnny, you know as much as anybody, this time of the year with these baseball games, what they mean, the pressure, it's unreal. It really is um, where it is now. Um, I mean, there's some, like, super teams, super good players. Um what I like is, you know, obviously there can only be one winner, but, you know, the losers are just absolutely devastated. Like, I can only happen, imagine what's going on in Dodger camp right now. Like, that was not supposed to happen. And then that same thing's going to happen with Houston or New York. Um, and, uh, I mean, these teams are built to win, and such good players, such good strategy, and just an absolute, like, alpha chess match going on these days. Yeah, an absolute heavyweight fight in the ALCS, and now it heads back to New York. You know, I I think the Yankees got exactly what they they wanted, right? They they got one in Houston, which was huge. Yeah, they got one in Houston, and they got some guys that are hot right now. Um, and when those guys are hot, it's it's some some crazy to watch. But um, that Houston team, man guys are so young and i actually really enjoy watching that ball club because they're just so young and athletic and dynamic and one through nine are power threats and one through nine are 300 average hitters um just to keep those guys in check says a lot about new york and it's a fun series to watch what is the mentality like in the clubhouse of a great team like the great teams you have been on what is that mentality like especially in october it's pretty cool. I mean, when you're, you know, when you look back on it, you know, those winning ball clubs and I mean, 
how much you're doing for the guy next to you. I mean, you are literally pulling so hard for that dude that's at the plate. You're willing to do anything you can to find a tip or to find any sort of advanced information to share it, not for yourself. Because uh, you realize, like, you are now just like a tiny, tiny piece of the puzzle to win the World Series. Um, going in 2008 um, and then losing to Philly when I was with Tampa really sunk in just absolutely how hard it is to win. And, I mean, there's every single angle just dissecting you as a defensive guy and as an offensive guy to try and beat you that night, that pitch. So there's so much that goes into just every single pitch. And we learned so much about it, especially with Tyler Glass now, where he was tipping his pitches, fastball to curveball, of where, when he was coming set, where the glove was with the ball in the glove. If it was higher up, it was a fastball. If it was lower, it was going to be a breaking ball. Looking at every little thing. And I think about what a heady player you were. Bob Melvin has always said he thinks you'd make a great manager. What was that like, whether it was watching video or watching a guy live, or it was someone at the plate, always trying to find that little edge, that little something, over the opposing team. Yeah, it is pretty, pretty cool craft and talent to have. And um, not a lot of guys do the, the really advanced, you know, way to break someone down. But it's so rewarding when you do find that tip. I mean, it's like you might be on it and then you got to go back and maybe he did it on just that pitch. Maybe he did it on the game. Maybe he did it on purpose. And now he's going to show up to the game and the pitches are going to be reversed. Um, but when you crack that code and you're able to share that information with the team, um, I always say, like, if there's an ace on the mound or if there's a dude with who has electric stuff, if he gets hit and hit hard, there's something behind it, absolutely. Because those guys just don't have bad games. Um, and there might be a tip that happens just that game that you find in the third inning. So it's like zero, zero, zeros in the fourth and fifth inning. It's like four spot, three spot. Um so it's cool at this time, October baseball, when something dramatic happens, there's huge reports and information behind it versus the season. It's almost just talent on talent. Now there's just, it's like I said, it's a full on chess match. It's pretty cool. Before we get into the NLCS, just what is it like playing big games at Yankee Stadium? Uh, big games at old Yankee Stadium was what it was about. Uh, the new one is still awesome. It's still electric. But old Yankee Stadium, man, I remember going in there, and in the beginning, it's kind of like, it's like eerie. There's just like this, it's so much history and so much stuff still sunk in that building. Um, and you want to do well, obviously, but my gosh, you do not want to do bad because those fans are on you. And, um, you know, th- those are the lights you want to shine under, which is pretty cool. And then how about where the Nationals are right now? I mean, they're playing with house money. Playing with total house money. It's unbelievable. I mean, when you got Scherzer coming out of the pen, Patrick Corbin coming out of the pen, um, you know what it reminds me? It reminds me of the 01 Diamondbacks with Randy and Schilling just leading the way all the way down. Um, and then they got some electric, awesome players. They're super talented, super fast, super athletic. Um, you know, and then you got the old Zimmerman coming off the bench too. They're, they're, they're exciting to watch. Um, but yeah, it's like, they do have house money, but at the end of the day, they should be there. They should be, um, supposed to beat St. Louis. St. Louis is also playing with house money. Um, and it's cool to watch the national league style over there, the pinch hitting, the switching, 
what happens in the eight hole. Do they pitch around the pitcher? Pitcher should never get a hit, but he does get a hit. They pitch to him. Um, these are two two awesome series going on. You know, the strategy in the National League um, versus just the heavyweight bout in the American League. But yeah, that's a that's that's a fun matchup. What game did you like playing better in? Did you like playing American League or did you like playing National League? It, it was it was different for me. I love the strategy. I love following the pitch count of the pitcher. I love following the batting order. Um, you know, you get the vet guys that can literally navigate their way through a lineup, you know, starting at the four hole. You know, you can go walk, walk, double play, walk. You know, your pitch count goes up, but no damage because you can pitch around so many guys. Uh, really cool to be a part of, but being in there for a long time, watching pitchers hit, you just want to throw up in your mouth. You're like, Enough of this. I can't anymore. <laughs> yeah, at, yeah. Some, at some point it is going away, but, like, look at tonight. How about this matchup? I mean, as a player, you're going into a matchup of Steven Strasburg up against Jack Flaherty. What would it be like playing in a game where you got this type of star power on the mound? Yeah, and that's where, you know, all the information, advanced info comes in because, I mean, you need as much help as you can just to get a hit against one of those dudes let alone manufacture three, four runs. Um, and I love where the game is, too, with all these shifts and all this weird stuff. And, I mean, heaven forbid you lose that game because of a shift or um, in a big situation, does the, does the guy choose to beat the shift or does he choose not to? If he should have snuck that ball to the right side, would have got a knock and maybe did it, and then maybe it's a homer. So there, there's so much that goes into you know, the National League right now with those two guys. You know, I think about where we are today with shifting to where we always – so you know, we started to see it more and more with, with left-handed hitters. Now we're seeing it with right-handed hitters. How much were you shifted on in your career? And if you were playing again today, how would you go after the shift? Yeah, that's one of the hard things right now in coaching what I'm doing. And it's like the only thing that's going on in baseball almost nightly, anyway, that I didn't have to face. I didn't. So I don't know if I would have chose to go the other way or chose to take just a single for the hit. But um, it, it baffles me more times than not that a dude doesn't just try and shoot the ball the other way to manufacture some runs. But at the same time where it is, I mean, you're always a swing away you know, from changing the score. But it's kind of the only thing going on in baseball right now where you can just point your finger to selfishness. He's trying to go deep instead of trying to manufacture a run, get on for the next guy, extend the pitcher's pitch count, stuff like that. Let's end on this. You know, recently we've been we've been honoring all the great A's teams, and this year we, we look back at the championship team of 1989. At some point, we will honor 2012. It's 2012, I think, for all of us, whether you were playing it, you are covering it, just being around it, it was truly one of the more special years. I know my career, I also think for your career, when you look back, just, just what do you think about, because you you're one of the main leaders of this team, what do you think back when you think back of that 2012 ball club? I mean, there's so much I have. I mean, I, I go back every once in a while, pull that roster up. I mean, you talk about just saying a lot, bad news bears. I just played the game the right way. I mean, when you talk about 162 games and we were in first place for four innings of the whole season, just so happened to be the last four, uh, covering like 14 games from like mid-August on, you know, one of the biggest comebacks and uh, deficit erasers. 
Um, but, you know, a lot of great stuff. But I tell you what, when Verlander beat us in game five at home and they celebrated, it was crazy to watch them stop celebrating and the whole Tiger team tip their hat to us. Like the opponent, I just put, like, they took time out of their celebration to be like, that was pretty cool. It was. And um, I tell people, especially Ace fans too, I go like, you know, they're doing good. They're awesome right now. But don't forget about that year. That year was awesome. Yeah, it was special. Hey, you love coaching? Is this something you think you're going to want to do long term? It's all I know, buddy, is baseball. I got no interest in anything else. Baseball rap. <laughs> yep. You are the best, my friend. We'll be in touch this off season, yeah. And, you know, we all miss you here in Oakland. Right on, guys. Have a good one tonight. Johnny Gomes, truly one of the fa- my favorite guys to ever cover. And we're always going to love him here. And 2012, I mean, that team just sparks emotions. I will never forget how emotional it was doing the postgame after that loss and Bob Melvin, which I did not ask him to, to call in. Bob Melvin called into the postgame show. I'll never forget the guy in my ear. Hey, Bob Melvin's on the line. I'm like, really? And Melvin calls in to praise you, the A's fans, for the effort you gave them and how loud you were and how great you were in that series all season long. I had people tell me, that they actually had to pull over because they were crying listening to it. They had to pull their cars over. That's how emotional everybody was. That team was something. They just ran into the buzz, the buzzsaw that is Justin Verlander. But someday we're going to honor this team. And we should. Because they were one of the most entertaining, one of the most fun group of guys that shocked the world, the baseball world. They did. No one expected. And you know what? How could you? If you actually go back and you look at the roster that was in Japan versus the roster that was down the stretch and that played in the postseason, it's two completely different rosters. It's amazing how much things changed. But that's what Billy Bean will do and David Forst and their crew. They'll keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking, and then you get it, and you get hot, and next year you get hot. Then you start making trades. Then you want to help the team. Nobody was better in baseball from June 2nd on. No one had a better record. No one hit more home runs. They were dynamite. So, Commander, you have the opening day roster from 2012. That's what I have pulled up, yeah. Versus what is the roster for the postseason? I can I didn't pull that one up, but I can. It's interesting some of the guys that are on this list. Let me get the uh, postseason. Yes, it is very interesting. Jamile Weeks was supposed to be the franchise. He was the franchise player. At one point was called untouchable. 
Oh, I bought into I bought into the hype. I had a I had a Jamal Weeks uh, jersey when I lived on the East Coast still. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Someone brought me. It was uh, I can't remember what they were bringing me, but it was, but they gave it to me. Somebody with the A's, and they gave it to me with uh, with a uh, Jamal Weeks backpack, and I was like, wow. It just shows you how quick things can change. So one guy not on the uh, opening day roster, but was on the playoff roster would be um. That Donaldson guy that was pretty good to play third base, he wasn't on the opening day roster. Josh Donaldson, who uh, would be sent down to Sacramento and would call my talk show on his way being sent down. He was batting like .082, and he just wanted to talk college football. Uh, another one would be Sean Doolittle. He wasn't on the opening day roster. Sean Doolittle was supposed to be the everyday first baseman. His career was over. Went to Keith Lippman and said, Hey, can I uh, get an opportunity to pitch? And Keith Lippman said, I, I thought you'd ask us that a long time ago. It was like a Disney story. Ran through A ball, double A, triple A. Next thing you know, here's a, how about Cookie, Ryan Cook? He's on there. The, both catchers were different. The opening day catchers for the opening day roster were Kurt Suzuki and Ramon Castro. The playoff roster catchers were George Kataris and Derek Norris. The great Derek Norris. Kurt Suzuki, friend of the program, still playing in the playoffs. Steven Drew, Brandon Moss. See. Steven Drew was your shortstop. Cliff, Cliff Pennington was your shortstop to start the season in Japan. Look at the changes. It's Chris amazing. Carter. Chris Carter's another one. Brandon Inge played third before he got hurt and helped out. Hit a big grand slam. Uh, Adam Rosales is another one. The outfield stayed the same pretty much, it looks like. Um, yeah, the outfield stayed the same with Coco and Seth Smith and Gomes and Reddick and Joanna Cespedes. Jared Parker was not on the flight to Japan. But he's on this roster they have for the opening day. Yeah, he was not. He was in Sacramento. He did not. He did I'll not. believe you over this. You were in Japan with the team. Yeah, so he did, you, you know, he was disappointed. He was uh, sent down to Sacramento. How, here's the name that takes me back because I remember him as a Royal. Uh, is it Kila Kalahue? Remember him, the first baseman? Yeah. Yep, I remember when he played for the Royals. Kia Kalahue uh, was told by Bob Melvin, you're going to get a shot at first base to be the other day first baseman. And then like two days later, Bailey Bean was like, eh, we're not going to do that anymore. A name not on the roster, though, I don't see is your guy, Derek Barton. Derek Barton would show up, though, in the postseason. They don't have him on the postseason. Or maybe was that 2013? Yeah, he's not on this ro- the postseason roster. Yeah, either. Barton would come back and start 2013, the first game, and then he wouldn't play again. Kia Kalahue. He had uh, 128 at-bats. He hit 234 with four long balls and 14 runs driven in for the A's. It just goes to show, like, but, 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 but he, here's the thing that should be a lesson learned. When you have that many changes and it does work out, that is the problem with today's baseball. You can't start out slow. If you want to win your division in the American League until further notice, you're going to have to win over 100 games. I mean, the Astros won 107. Yankees won 103. The Twins won 101. So that slow start thing and then get hot in May or June, not going to work. We talked about that with David Force on the David Force Show, and I would talk about that with everybody in baseball. If you're a Giants fan and you're listening to A's Cast Live, why? Because you're a baseball fan and you're going to hear the best baseball guest. 
If you're going to overtake the Dodgers, you're going to have to win over 100 games. So if you're the D-backs, you're the Padres, you're the Rockies, you're the Giants. Yeah, the Dodgers went out early, but Dodgers are still going to be stacked. And Dodgers are still going to win 100 games next year. So if you want a chance to win the division, you can't start off slow. Maybe in the National League, but you're not going to do it. You're not going to do that. I mean, because the, the Astros are still going to be great next year. I would say with the Dodgers, they made a change to their coaching staff, though, as Rick Honeycutt's going to a special assistant role. Mark Pryor is now the new pitching coach. As it, this was being reported. He'll be the new pitching coach of the Dodgers. Was he in their system? Pryor? I remember him. I always remember him as a Cub. So let me the, look. He was a USC Trojan, the guy that supposedly had the flawless mechanics that couldn't stay healthy. I, I if he if he if he got if he got the if he got the call to be the pitching coach, there's probably a good chance that and he is from Southern California. There's a good chance he was in the Dodgers system, right? He had to have been in the Dodgers system coaching. Yeah, he was a coach from 2018 to now. So, I leave him in the system as a player. So I don't remember him as a player, but as no, a coach, no, no, yeah, no, as a coach. I'm going to see what his role was. Mark Pryor is the pitching coach for the Dodgers. He was a pitching coordinator for the Padres for three years, and then he was hired by the Dodgers as their bullpen coach in 2018. Oh. Then now it's already updated on um, Wikipedia. He will be. He was promoted to pitching coach for the 2020 season. Good for him. Staying in the game. He was one of those guys that, God, if he just could have stayed healthy, his stuff was just so electric. Uh, him and Kerry Wood could have been Verlander Cole. I mean, they already were, and then they both, and both those guys were always injured. That Cubs rotation was so good with those two guys in it. Was that 03? And they lost to the Marlins because of um, Steve Bartman. Oh, own... you're still blaming Barty? Yeah, yeah Bartman. You know, they, they did the 30 for 30. I'm not catching hell. 30 for 30 was incredible. How the guy couldn't even leave his house without, like, without, you know, know. in disguise. People are nuts. People are absolutely nuts. You want to head to New York next? Is it true? Or is it just a conspiracy? Is there really an issue with the baseball? Is the baseball different from the regular season to the postseason? Has baseball made a change? Did we really know how big the relationship is right now between Rawlings and Major League Baseball? We're going to find all of that out next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Is the ALCS over? What? Did you see this yesterday on Fox? This is a non-smoking <laughs> building, by the way. Well, it'll probably, probably be the last time we're here. <laughs> I'm not planning coming back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Smoke them you got them. Big, <laughs> big, big Poppy the Slugger, and it's time to go before the fire marshal kicks us out. El Artista. There you go. Well, there you have it. A-Rod and Big Poppy smoking cigars. Big Poppy's not planning on coming back to Houston. Three games in the Bronx. He thinks they're going to lose all three? The Yankees lose all three? That's kind of a stretch. That's Red Sox kill, or, uh, Yankee killer David Ortiz, by the way. And then you got a former Yankee and A-Rod. And then, big, and then Frank Thomas is pretty much thinking, I'm just I'm just happy to be up here, guys. Yeah, uh, I, I, I I do not see the Houston Astros. I, I I just don't see the 
Yankees getting beat three straight games at home. Especially, what's your guy Grinky going to do? You know, they got Zach Grinky and everybody wanted to hand, you know, everybody wanted to hand them the trophy. Problem is, as I said a long time ago, when I was put to the test about Zach Grinky supposedly being he got compared to my guy David Cohn, who I always liked growing up. Oh, Grinky's way better than David Cohn. Look at the numbers. Uh Look at the postseason numbers. David Cohn now three and six with a four point five eight ERA and thirteen games started in the postseason. <laughs> yeah. To where David Cohn was a killer and a five time World Series champion. Grinky's got a lot to prove. Yeah, he's got regular season numbers that are great, but he's not great in the postseason. He has not shined. And now you got a pitch in the band box that is Yankee Stadium. It who knows? Five games left, and you're gonna have Cole going in game three. The postseason doesn't get any better than this. Well, let's see what happens tonight. I got some numbers, by the way, on Steven Strasburg. How Steven Strasburg has changed over the years as a pitcher you know coming out of San Diego State he's hitting 102 on the gun right so everybody talked about the most electric arm Nolan Ryan like but he has changed as a pitcher over time and we will get to that coming up here in a little bit is there controversy kind of seems like there is when you have record-setting numbers you always got to ask why. Why do we have record home runs? And then, because of StatCast and being able to track everything, why is the ball not flying as far as it did during the regular season? Where there's rumors everywhere, the conspiracy theory, that Major League Baseball, who owns a part of Rawlings, has changed the ball or maybe even using balls from a different time. That the only thing you got to do is switch it up and put the old postseason stamp on it. Do we have a conspiracy? Because that would be kind of scandalous, wouldn't it? Play with one baseball during the regular season and then switch it for the postseason? Nobody does that. Evan Drellick joined me earlier today on A's Cast Live. And we talked about, do we have a conspiracy? Evan, it's great to have you back on A's Cast Live. How are you? What's going on, Chris? Thanks for having me. And, of course, tomorrow is your birthday, so let's all say happy birthday to you early. You're too sweet. So uh, how old are you going to be? Wow, it's getting personal now. I'm going to be 32. What do I have left to look forward to, Chris? Oh, you got a lot. Don't worry. I'm 47. You got a long way to go. You're still you're still in your prime. That's kind of you, although I think in baseball at this point I would have been phased out. But uh, <laughs> that is kind of you. All right, so not too long ago we had issues with 
Tom Brady and whether he was deflating baseballs or not. We haven't had this much talk about equipment since that time, that scandal with the New England Patriots. You just did a great article on The Athletic, as you guys all do, talking about the baseballs and whether the baseballs, the ones that we were using during the regular season, are the same ones we're using in the postseason. What is going on with the baseball? Well, if you go into the real bird's eye view, you have a public trust problem right now. And Twitter does not represent every voice. Radio, none of us represent every voice. But clearly, people are watching what's going on. You see a record number of home runs and going, I don't believe what Major League Baseball is saying. So you can go two ways. You can, you can accept and try to work off of the facts that MLB has put forth, which at this moment I say I'm probably inclined to believe because if, the, if this really was a situation where they were juicing the ball – and dejuicing the ball and publicly lying about it over and over and over, and there was some smoking gun to be found eventually, these people would be in major trouble. I mean, Rob Manfred gets uh, you know, fired immediately if this is ever proven, uh, at least I would think. So the way I look at it right now and the way it's been explained to me, if you boil it down, it's more or less a form of incompetence or simply a lack of foresight. For years, people weren't able to measure the ball as accurately as you can now with StatCast. And Rob Arthur at uh, Baseball Perspectives pointed out you can do it with PitchFX as well, kind of older technology, whatever. They didn't really pay any attention to this manufacturing process until something went wrong. And now you have a problem unfurling in front of you for all of us to see, and nobody really believes MLB, in part because they bought into Rawlings. And they don't actually run the operation of Rawlings day-to-day, at least uh, that's what I'm told. Uh, MLB itself owns about 25% of the company, and then uh, one of the major league owners is a company that owns another 75%, but it still has its own infrastructure. It's this complicated thing, but they shot themselves in the foot, and they've lost public trust in whether or not that ball is juiced or not. Yeah, reading your article, it's the the Padres owner and his company. So basically, 100% of Rawlings is owned by some type of entity that's tied to Major League Baseball, correct? That's correct. So this wasn't really something that was announced to us. Was it ever that how big of involvement that, that Major League Baseball has with the actual company when talking about ownership? I mean, guys like you now are bringing it out, but they never really came public with this. Is that correct? Well, when Rawlings was bought, uh, this was last year, you know, there was a Wall Street Journal article. It's more of a business story. I don't know if it grabbed people's attention. What I've noticed and seen people say offhand is MLB – owns MLB runs Rawlings now. So I set out to a- ask, is that really the case? Uh, and, and yes, 100% of it does tie back to MLB, uh, you know, even if there's kind of a couple intermediaries in between. Um, but I, I think, look, all these owners are business people. You know, th- they looked at Rawlings as a business proposition. I, they, then publicly, there, there are MLB executives who have been on the record saying, you know, we want some more oversight with the baseball. That's true. I think when they bought Rawlings, they did want uh, and believe they would gain an ability to, to say, hey, no, we don't want to move the factory here or we don't want this piece of equipment. But to describe it as this takeover, so MLB kind of went into Rawlings and now is running everything, it doesn't sound like they are. It, it really sounds like, MLB has realized 
they cannot control the baseball's manufacturing process nearly as consistently as they want to. Uh, and it's just creating this major egg on their face. And again, that's a view of one where you're kind of accepting what they're giving you, you know, and, and I'm, I'm one of the first people to cast a skeptical eye that, that that's what we're, we're being given at this point. You know, the, the, the thing for me, like in sports, when you talk about manufacturing, I mean, the one thing is like you can manufacture a golf ball and make them pretty much all the same, pro V1s, right? We'll say Titleist. Or you look at footballs, or you look at the, the basketball that they use in the NBA. I, it's, I, I find it hard to believe that they just can't keep manufacturing the ball and make it consistent. Well, you're right, but you got to remember there's a lot more, golf balls aside, but, but I think even compared to them, um, think of the number of baseballs that are be going through. It's a massive quantity of these things, and in their defense, they point this out, it is a lot of natural materials, right? If they want to change the ball, if they, if they want to fix this going forward, where they stand now, there's going to be a report that comes out probably around the end of the postseason, so late October, I don't know, maybe early November is when this thing goes public. The belief at the moment is it'll center on the seams. Even if they figure out what the problem is, and they say, okay, the seams change, the seams uh, lower, higher, whatever, it's not a guarantee, and in fact, it might be unlikely that they have the ability right now in their manufacturing process to make sure that doesn't happen going forward. It's one thing to know what the problem is. It's another thing to be able to actually fix it. So you might be stuck with a choice of we want to change the baseball away from leather. We want to change it away from all these natural materials, uh, the, the layers of wool. Um, or you accept a world where the manufacturing process is not going to be perfectly consistent and you're going to have a variable baseball. And everybody knows that. But that's kind of the fork in the road we're, we're heading toward here where baseball might have to choose new ball, new manufacturing process, or we live with this. The, the part that would get me is, okay, so, you know, talking to, to Meredith, who you know really well, and we bring her on the program, if they've just made the ball better and it flies further – I, I get it, and I understand it, and you can change any way you want. The thing that will get me, though, is if it is true that you had a baseball that you used during the regular season, and then you switch it for the postseason, man, that, I mean, it is their game. They can do what they want. But, boy, doesn't that sound scandalous? Well, I, I asked Rob Manfred when he did his all-star game press conference that he does every year uh, with, with baseball writers about – Going forward, what does this mean? And the one thing he said in response that stuck out to me was, if we're going to change the ball, we will make it public. Uh, so he would have already been going back on his word there. The argument they're putting forth, and this, this is not, uh, doesn't fit with what Rob Arthur at Perspectives was explaining, because he's saying the balls are so drastically different. Uh, but the argument they're putting forth is these things are made year-round. Every batch is different. They're very, you know, even if you look month to month, forget year to year, you know, the year is kind of an arbitrary barrier. Um, but it, it, they are producing these things in the factories every month, you know. So whatever batch got marked for the postseason, this is what happened uh, to be in that batch. That that's what they're saying. Is that hard to believe? Yeah, I, I you know, I get all the skepticism, which brings me back to that original point because I'm skeptical too. It's that original point of they have a trust problem here because they didn't know their own manufacturing process, right? If everything they're saying is true, they still did not know all these quality control problems 
existed until it was too late. Wow. I just, it's just it's hard to believe. But uh, you also, one of the things we love about The Athletic is just the journalism is second to none. And you did a great article talking about baseball and the health of baseball and about attendance and Gen Z and millennials. And How healthy do you think baseball is right now in 2019? I think it's healthier than has been probably publicly discussed because a lot of times what happens is you see – Attendance. It's the easiest way to look at um, the health of a sport. You know, that's in every single box score. Uh, but within that, I ha- I've had these questions for months, and I finally got answers to them. Well, you know, how many people are actually going who are fans? And uh, these people who do this, this sports poll that's been going for 25 years said that about 30% of Major League Baseball fans actually attend a game every year, which is not to say attendance is not important. Uh, but what I started to explore was, other forms of engagement and, and the way that the cell phone has changed the way people interact with sports and everything. And uh, this guy who runs this poll named Rich Luker was saying that, you know, what baseball is facing is really not a baseball problem specific to the sport. It's about consumption. It's about how people engage with free time, what they do in their free time and how they're always on their cell phones. And, um, you know, it's a Netflix issue. It's a, it's a Borders bookstore issue. It's, it's not a baseball issue. Uh, but that said, there are things going on inside the sport, and Rob Manfred acknowledged some of them, uh, that they do need to address. You know, there's a lot of anonymity these days. Uh, one of the beautiful things about these playoffs, you, you're seeing starting pitchers go deeper. You know, you're not seeing all these guys, you're like, I've never heard of him before. The stuff all these GMs do to win one more game, that doesn't always make for the best entertainment product, and, and people like Rob Manfred need to be considered of the actual entertainment value of the sport. Yeah, we had the commissioner on for the when we had the wild card game when the Athletics were hosting the Rays, and there was a you know the one thing about him that I do like is he's not afraid to make change. He knows that every business doesn't matter whether it's sports or whatever business need, business need to change and keep up with the time. So I, I do like that about him. We'll see what the changes are going to be long term. Let's end on this: you were covering the Red Sox when there were issues with the Red Sox and the Astros when they were accused. Uh, They're accusing the Astros of cheating. I know the A's have had an issue with the Houston Astros. What do you think is going on with baseball? Because originally this came up with Glass now and his tipping his pitches, and it was pretty obvious what he was doing. But then I was saying, you know, there's been multiple teams that believe the Astros have been using technology to get an advantage. What has that world like been, like spying in Major League Baseball? Yeah, we've hit this point where there's a culture of paranoia, and the the last time I really heavily reported on it was was, uh, 11 months ago, November last year, uh, where I was really trying to dig into this. As technology is growing here, this paranoia is not going to go away. Uh, There's really nothing MLB can do, not that they're doing enough, but you're you're not going to create a climate where teams are going to look at other teams, smart teams, teams that are innovating, doing everything cutthroat they can to win, uh, and go, yeah, I trust that they don't have a camera in center field on our signs. Right? There is a reason people are issuing different sets of signs inside of an inning uh, when nobody's on base. It, 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 and I just don't know what you can do if you're baseball to prevent that. Um, you, know, the, you have fears that people go up to the plate with, with wearable technology, you know, something that could be pinged to know what a pitch is coming. You know, and the more technology you put into the game, the more fear you're going to have that people are – hacking it, whatever, you know, it's the kind of stuff that goes on in the NFL or, or, you know, or your headset's jammed or something like that. Um, 
So has it happened where people have done things that have been outside the rules? Of course. There's no question it has happened. Is it happening right now in this offseason? Well, they, in, in this postseason, they wanted to make changes after last year because they thought it was getting out of hand. I, I just think you're always going to hear these grumbles uh, in this day and age. So you think the Astros love that everybody has this thing in the back of their mind, oh, the Astros are cheating? Do you think they kind of like like putting that, planting that seed in other teams' head? I, yeah, I think every team does, but I, but I think the suspicion also goes uh, to to teams like the Dodgers and, and and teams like the Yankees. You know, any of these smart, powerful teams, and probably any team period, is doing stuff because the line between cheating and not cheating, it's in the rule book, but you can find the gray area. Okay, let's say you have a camera. All the cameras are supposed to be registered with MLB now. Uh, you have a feed going to an office rather than to say a dugout or the dugout steps. And then somehow that's being relayed in real time. And it, the, the, the different ways you can, what, what if somebody's making noise, banging on a drum or, or, or you know, banging on a garbage candy? The different ways you can try to relay things um, that or originate in technology you shouldn't have, you know, it, it, this is a very tough area to legislate and actually prevent against, which is why I think you're just going to reach a point where it's got to be, look, if somebody's getting your signs, it's on you because it's really nothing people can do at a certain point to cure your own paranoia. Evan, you guys are covering the game second to none, the athletic. We love reading it every single day. We appreciate the time. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Good stuff, man. Wow. Seriously, we haven't had this much discussion since Deflategate. I mean, that's – when's the last time we talked this much about a ball? And really not many of us knew how much Major League Baseball is really their relationship with Rawlings. Now, Rawlings is running as an independent company, and Major League Baseball owns 25%, but it's the Seidler Equity Partners, founded by Peter Seidler, that owns 75% of Rawlings. By the way, he's the Padres' general partner and the team's lead investor. Basically, Rawlings' ownership ties back to MLB. All of it, 100%, ties back to MLB in some ca- some capacity. Dr. Meredith Wills is going to join us, also from The Athletic. Astrophysicist, big baseball fan. What what she think about Ballgate coming up here at the top of the hour? There's people that believe the ball it's not flying as as far in the postseason, and Statcast shows it. Well, why? Like you can't call weather an issue in Houston. They play in a dome, and the weather hasn't been bad. Also. If you watched the game last night and you saw that the cameras, you know, the access that they have for the postseason is so incredible. When you saw the the camera come up on the Astros, because now we got iPads in the dugout. And, Commander, you really picked up on this, that 
a couple times the cameras were coming up and the Astro people would be turning so you couldn't see what they were looking at on their iPad? I found it, the, I found it very interesting because I was watching it. It first happened when Aaron Boone came out and replaced CZ Sabathia with uh, Loisiga, the right-hander, to come in to face out. He came in to face, uh, I believe, Altuve or Bregman. I think it was Altuve. And they showed Troy Snitker, son of Brian Snitker, the manager of the Braves. He's the hit one of the. I think he's their hitting coach, or like he might be like a hitting instructor with the Astros. He had the iPad and he's pulling it, and he shows it, and then he sees the cameras getting closer, and he pulls it up and like pulls it closer so no one can see what he's what they're looking at. And then they showed it again when they brought Jay Happ in to face Jordan Alvarez, and when I, he brought in out when out when he Happ was coming in, they did the same thing, but he got even more guarded with it because the camera got closer. Pulled the iPad really close to the chest and only like any any tilted it, so only Alvarez could see what was going on. I thought that was very fascinating. So he's showing a, he, he's showing him highlights uh, of Hap, and he's worried about us knowing that we we all know that's what they're there for. So why you gotta? Yeah, I thought the it thing, just adds to the conspiracy. I thought the thing Drellick mentioned was great. It was interesting because um, some I, I, Dina actually pointed out to me. The, she goes, what is that thing that, uh, if you watch Jordan Alvarez bat, he wears like something on his thumb. And I've been trying to figure out what it is. And Drellick mentioned how there's some kind of technology where you can, he's like, there's probably some technology that you can use where they'll get something that's sent to you, like your, your hand buzzes or something. Oh, when, no, no. What it is, they have a thumb pad. It goes right around your thumb, and it's a pad. So when you get jammed, it doesn't hurt your thumb. Oh, uh, it, it looked a little like more like plastic than anything, but who knows. But that kind of technology, can, like Drellick mentioned, could happen where, they can ping you with something like, "Hey, this guy here's the pitch is coming." If they're if they're videotaping it from center field, like he said, the teams could do. Basically, he just said you can't stop cheating. Uh, yeah, that's what eventually you know it's going to come to. And I'm not by any means saying the Astros are cheating, but other teams have said like the Astros or the other Red teams Sox, have said they're cheating. Red Sox came out and did it last year, about a year ago this time. The Oakland Athletics were not happy with the Astros. I mean, that's just a reality. You know, the Boston Red Sox. We're using iWatches, right? And, and, and that that's what's weird to me is I remember they didn't allow them to use iWatches, but now you're allow, allowing them to use uh, – is it Microsoft, the ones they're using, just like the NFL? I think they're using Microsoft. I don't know what those are called. But they're, they're using some form of a computer now in the dugout. It's you a- can look – Sorry, it's a Surface tablet. Surface, same surface, thing as the yeah. NFL. Yeah. yeah, that's what the NFL has. And who knows what you can utilize with technology? Who knows what you can do? You still got to hit it. You still got to pitch it. You still got to hit it. You still got to make contact. So, I mean, and some guys, let's face it, some guys don't want to know. I've heard of plenty of guys who go, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Some guys rather just know location. Some guys like to know the pitch. Some guys want nothing. See ball, hit ball. But it just adds to the interest, right? We were so worried about people cheating, and now we're allowing to have technology in the dugout. In the dugout. And what would that really mean? If Major League Baseball switched the balls for the postseason – what would that really – I mean, is that – do they have the right to do that? Is it scandalous at all, or is it, hey, this is their business. They can authorize what ball to use at any point. And if they did do that, well, why didn't they tell us? I just – Manfred's too smart, right? 
He's been in this game a long time, a lawyer. I just have I just have a hard time with these conspiracies. But you never know. Forget what I know. Dr. Meredith Wills, what does she believe? She's been testing these baseballs. She's been looking into it. Do we have a different ball in the postseason than we did the regular season? Dr. Meredith Wills will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. On this day in 1976, it's one of the great highlights. Chris Chambliss of the Yankees hits a home run off the... Royals, a walk-off shot. And it sends the Yankees to the World Series. Now remember, 1976, it would be the Yankees' first World Series appearance since 1964. And what's iconic about the highlight is the fact that Chambliss is throwing stiff arms rounding the bases just trying to get the home plate. Does everybody remember back in the day these highlights where people would storm the field? Like how dangerous that was when Harry when Hank Aaron hit the the uh, record-setting home run. How many people jumped on the field? Like it's amazing how many people used to jump on the field. It's pretty crazy. If you've never seen the highlight, go check it out. Chris Chambliss walk-off home run against the Warriors. Not the Warriors, against the Royals in the ALCS 1976. And watch how you know, these are Yankee fans, and he's having like forearm them and get them out of the way just so he can get the home plate. Did he even make it the home plate, if I remember? Go look at the highlight. He might not even made it the home plate. <laughs> it was a wild scene. Dr. Wills is with us once again. Of course, she does a great job writing for The Athletic as we're trying to figure out about the baseball, what has changed, what has changed from year to year, what has changed in 2019 regular season, and what has changed in the 2019 postseason. Dr. Wills, how are we? I'm doing great. How are you? We are fantastic, and The Athletic has been all over this as we're starting to realize just how involved Major League Baseball is with Rawlings. I think we all didn't know, but uh, uh, we're starting to figure out that they've got a pretty – I'm not saying they're running. Uh, they're running Rawlings, but they've got a bit – They basically the company's own somehow, some way. Everybody who has a percentage is connected to Major League Baseball. And Evan Drellich, you're, uh, who also works with The Athletic with yourself, had a great article today breaking it down. Yep. Well, I mean, somebody affiliated with Major League Baseball owns pretty much all of Rawlings. So I don't think it's an unreasonable thing to say that, you know, they're basically in on everything. And the whole reason that they got involved was for 
you know, greater oversight, greater quality control. Um, certainly, they're on the record where that's the reason they they bought it. So that's the reason why they bought a controlling share. Okay, so you've been studying the baseball all year long. Do you want to start with what we've seen in 2019? Do you want to start with the postseason baseball? Where do you want to go first? Wow. Um, well, I mean, I guess the, the the short version is that, you know, we knew that the ball uh, was traveling way further during the regular season, and hence we broke lots and lots and lots of records. And all of a sudden, in the postseason, the ball has died. Um, long live the ball, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, Rob Arthur had some some really uh, really interesting article come out in Baseball Perspectives just in the last um, I guess the end of last week, and uh, what he's seeing is that in particular um, the drag on the ball this is just you know basically how how quickly it slows down when it travels through the air. It's uh, up three times above what it was uh, before during the regular season. Um, or Yeah, three times from what it was in the regular season. Uh, there's also uh, the Cardinals manager, uh, Mike Schultz, actually, you know, came out during a press conference and you know, was talking about that the team's analytics department is seeing the ball is carrying four and a half feet less than during the regular season on average. And if you look at the home run committee reports, it turns out that's a huge, huge drop. Like at their max, they were seeing um, changes about five feet. And so if the average is four and a half feet, that's nuts. Um, This is very, very different. And um, there seems to be two aspects. One is just that, again, more drag, the ball is slowing down more quickly when it's traveling to the air. There's also uh, lower exit velocities, which is basically that the um, that the ball just isn't coming off the bat as quickly as it was before. So the ball is, is sort of double deadened, if you want to put it that way. Take us through exactly drag and how we and how we measure it. Um, well, it pretty much ends up with. Um, God, there's different ways to do it, but it starts with, you know, how fast they, uh, I think Rob did it specifically looking at fastball pitches, so there's a lot of data, but it's how fast the ball leaves the pitcher's hand versus how fast it is when it's getting to the plate, and if it slows, the more you see it slow down, like the slower it is when it gets to the plate, the greater drag it has because otherwise, you know, it wouldn't it would have been at whatever speed you might have expected, say, during the regular season. And so the the fastballs just are getting to the plate. You know, they're not as fast when they get there. And that's uh, that's the way it's been measured. Uh, What what you end up seeing as far as the ball, you know, for fly balls in particular, you know, all those those home runs that aren't quite home runs all of a sudden, everybody waiting for the ball to go over the wall and suddenly it's a warning track uh, fly ball. Uh, you can actually even tell that the players are expecting the ball to travel further because they may be starting to compensate now, but certainly in the first few games, you'd see guys setting up on the warning track to catch a fly ball and then suddenly coming in like six or eight feet because the ball just was dying. It just wasn't going as far, um, slowing down faster. So um, 
that's really what it comes down to is basically just it it slows down faster as it goes through the air and so um you end up with more drag and fewer home runs and four and a half feet shorter so so if you took a ball that's in the playoffs right now and you took oh, a I will I, that that will see this is this is what's you know major league baseball is not dumb i mean at some point everybody's going to have their hands on, on the different balls if they are mm-hmm. different because Major League Baseball is saying they're not. The only difference is the stamp that says postseason on it. They've got it from the same batches of baseballs that they have been using throughout the season. If you were able to have both balls and you cut them open, do you think you would be able to tell the difference? Well, yes, I think I would be able to tell the difference. Uh, there's, there's, at the very least, when I've looked at I looked at postseason balls from 2015, and there absolutely is a difference once you get inside the cover. And that in those cases, there were these like three little dots that were on the thread part. This is, there's kind of a cotton thread layer, and then on top of that, you put the leather cover that you stitch on with the red laces. Um, and I only ever saw those related to postseason balls. So if MLB is saying that the ball from the regular season and the balls from the postseason are identical, then presumably those three dots shouldn't be there. And if they are there, I'm not sure why they would be there if the whole point is the balls the same. Uh, the other thing that I found interesting is that as MLB is talking about, oh yeah, all the batches are the same and the only difference is presumably this stamp on the outside. Um, it turns out that it's incredibly easy to date probably even like to the time of day that a ball was made in that all of the, every major league baseball that comes out of the factory in Costa Rica has a six letter or seven letter code on the inside that tells exactly the time and day or the day and the time that it was made. So I've in fact requested uh, from the commissioner's office, the rubric for how to use those six or seven letters to identify exactly when the ball was made, because presumably if they are regular season balls being used during the postseason that have somehow been mixed together, I should be able to tell, okay, this ball wasn't made, you know, in the second half specifically for the postseason. It was made before the season, for example. Um, But I need that information in order to confirm the veracity of the statement. Wow, I did not know that. So there is, you know, Mm -hmm. there is a code on every single ball. Yep, yep. So my my hope is that the commissioner's office is is getting a hold of that for me because I'm not sure they knew there was a code on every single ball either. So. Oh. But you know what? Mm -hmm. The other thing is. Do they have? I mean, it's their game. I, do they have the right to change? Do they have the right to change the ball from postseason to regular season, or regular? I should say regular season to postseason. According to the rules, they have the right to do whatever they want to do with the ball. Um, where this has become an issue is really that uh, Commissioner Manfred has uh, stated repeatedly, and not just this year, but but going reasonably far back that. You know, first of all, there was some uh, discussion as far back as, say, 2017 about how 
of course, they wouldn't change the ball. And then when things came up this season, uh, particularly mid-season with uh, Justin Verlander's um, outburst, I guess is really the best way to put it, during the, the press conference for the All-Star game, um, the commissioner specifically said, you know, if we were to change the ball, we would let people know this would be a process, that sort of thing. And he then, on top of that, did an article or interview, I should say, with Maury Brown for Forbes that really only came out not even three weeks ago, in which he reiterated that, uh, although in the process he also said um, when he was asked, you know, would the players be allowed any kind of input in the ball changing, he specifically said no, they wouldn't, but he was, you know, going to be transparent with them because, of course, that was how he always acted with the players in that he was tended to be, as a rule, transparent with the players. Um, it is worth noting that when this interview was done, uh, every single potential postseason club already had all of their postseason balls sitting in their various parks, including the A's. So, um, yeah, not really sure what to make of that. Wow, this is, this is kind of getting fascinating. Um... I mean, if, there, if, if there's a time stamp, like if I could get an A's postseason ball, we're going to have a time stamp. We'll know exactly when that ball was if, made. If, if, you can, if you can get me uh, any number of A's postseason balls, because they may still be there. Yeah, well, well, I mean, there, they, there are a lot. There are thousands of baseballs that they gave to every one of these, uh, every one of these teams. And so I know you didn't use that many in the wildcard playoffs. <laughs> So, and the thing that that, that, that that gets me is I have to think that every NBA basketball, every NFL football, every puck made in, in the National Hockey League, they've all got to be pretty darn similar. And one of the things about Evan's article was that, you know, not every baseball is equal. Why is it so tough to repeat the same ball in manufacturing? Well, what's interesting is that there actually are parts that are easy to reproduce. And it really comes down to the fact that some parts are, um, are automated and others are not. Uh, the easiest thing to reproduce very, very accurately is the interior inside that cotton thread layer because it's dependent purely on the yarn winding. So quite literally, and I think you guys will leave I don't know if you have a website, I forget, but there's like a link to a video from, from uh, the Science Channel from eight years ago, maybe, showing how you make a baseball. And basically, you take the core or the pill, and they wrap the yarn around it once or twice, and then they just let the thing go. And the reason that that particular layer of yarn stops spinning is because there is a weight-triggered uh, toggle that once that yarn layer gets to a certain weight, the machine shuts itself off. At which point, there is a person who goes in and, you know, winds the next layer of yarn around once or twice, lets the machine go, machine shuts itself off once it gets to the next layer. Um, and it's done, it does this three times for every baseball uh, as well as for the cotton thread layer. And I can attest to the fact, having gone through and measured all of the stuff in detail, that those layers of yarn, even if 
the lengths of yarn are different, the weight of a given layer is identical. Very, very close. So once you get inside the leather cover, the balls really are very, very similar. The problem is that the leather covers themselves tend to vary in terms of density, thickness, stuff like that. And so that's partly where you get the variation in things like size and weight. And also because of how stretchy the leather is, that's where you're going to get, say, seam height variations. And it, um, there's been some work done. Um, Rob Arthur was the one who did this recent baseball perspectives article showing change in drag. Uh, there's also Barton Smith out of Utah State who's done some really amazing work looking at how seam height can actually create drag. And what he's shown is that you need a tiny fraction of a millimeter difference and you can increase drag substantially or, or decrease it as the case may be. So, um, and similarly, you don't need to change the size very much to increase drag substantially. So a slightly larger ball, because say the leather is slightly thicker, is actually gonna have much more drag than you might think. So it's not surprising that the balls behave differently because by the time you get to the outer layer, um, yeah, it is uh, It's basically dependent on the part of the cow the leather came off of. It's dependent on how thin that piece of leather gets, uh, how pliable it is, that sort of thing. So that's where you're kind of getting the variations, I think. Um, and I don't have a problem with that, uh, but whatever's going on, if there's no way you can explain drag being up by, you know, three times more than during the regular season by something like natural variation. I think uh, Rob Arthur worked out that it was a one in a million chance, literally. So it's hard to believe, but I guess it's true. I mean, the seams, you could change the seams just a little bit, and that would dramatically affect the ball. But you'd have to do it systematically. And I, I actually don't think it's going to be the same. I mean, I haven't looked at the postseason ball yet. Um, again, you guys know I live nearby, so, you know, by all means, <laughs> I'm happy to look. But um, I think if it was the seams, we would have heard something from the players by now. Because don't forget, these guys have been playing with the same ball all season. And the one thing we have not heard are complaints from pitchers. And previously, you know, when the ball's changed before, even if it's just been anonymous, there have absolutely been complaints from pitchers. So I suspect that the surface of the ball is probably identical. I have a feeling they're using exactly the same processes as far as, say, stitching the ball, drawing the ball, that sort of thing. I would be very surprised if this is coming from seam height. Well, it I... also wouldn't explain the change in exit velocity, by the way. Seam height would not explain that. It's fascinating, isn't it? Isn't it absolutely fascinating? Mm -hmm. Like it's like it's like, you know, you you got people talking about the game, which is obviously a good thing. It's just the question of changing equipment from regular season to postseason. I mean, we haven't had. I, I've been saying this. We haven't had this much talk about a ball since Tom Brady and Deflategate. That, that considering the the messaging that, that MLB has had all through the season, you sort of got the impression that they wanted people to stop talking about the ball already. And so I'm not entirely sure 
why this is happening. I mean, what 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 I am, you know, what I am reasonably sure of, and because don't forget, with the the, the regular season ball, um, MLB officials uh, anonymously, but they did go on the record at the beginning of April, saying that they knew the ball had lower drag, the 2019 regular season ball. It was never referred to after that by the commissioner's office, but it absolutely was reported in the New York Post. It's there. Um, so they knew, basically, before the season started, there was going to be lower drag, um, and it was from internal testing, which is something that the uh, Home Run Committee really insisted on, you know, so presumably wind tunnels, something like that. Uh, that's not that difficult to do or even install at the factory. And so unless they suddenly decided that they weren't going to use internal testing for the uh, postseason ball after having done it for the regular season, uh, don't forget, it takes months to make these baseballs. They would have been making these back, you know, oh, I don't know, August maybe. Uh, and so I, I find it a little strange that you would suddenly have thousands and thousands of baseballs that all seem to be having the same problem that would either not have been tested or would have been tested and nobody was informed despite the fact that Commissioner Manfred had been discussing the importance of transparency. So it's, it's, it's really a puzzle. Um, and I, regardless of, you know, people talk are, are talking a lot about, you know, is this an accident, is this on purpose? I can't speak to that, certainly not until I've seen the baseballs, but the fact, I, I find it hard to believe that MLB would not have known back when these balls were first being produced, and I mean first being produced, because they're all the same. You know, they have to know from the first couple baseballs, okay, this is how they're ending up, um, that, you know, they, they, they had to have known while they were being produced that there was something different, and yet nobody knew. I mean, the, the front office for the Cardinals didn't know, because their own analytics department had to derive it. So it's not like somebody told the GM of the Cardinals, oh, yeah, by the way, the ball's going to be different, and somehow he kept it to himself. I mean, unless he told nobody in this front office. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's the lack of transparency, I think, is almost the biggest issue. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, obviously, we saw with AAA where they hit over 2,000 more home runs than were hit the, the year before. We have record-breaking home runs this year. And, mm -hmm. and certain guys have been around. And, I mean, Justin Verlander is a future Hall of Famer. I mean, this is his career. And when he comes out, mm -hmm. he tells you the ball's different. And then they kind of slap him on the wrist saying, stop talking about it. You know, it would be. And it worked. And it worked. Because you know what? Everybody's kind of gone hush-hush ever since then. Yeah, I will admit I find it interesting. Um, and, again, this is. I think this speaks more to their culture than anything, that if you remember, there was a lot of um, consternation in 2017 with Houston in particular about, and I have not looked at 2017 World Series balls, but they specifically were talking about the World Series balls. I don't know if they meant postseason in general, but certainly with World Series, that they thought the balls had been juiced to the point of people within the team themselves cut a few balls open, and I don't remember if they said they found something different or not, but at the very least, they felt motivated to do this because they were so convinced that the ball was different. Um, 
Meanwhile, uh, AJ Hinch has come out, you know, when he was asked about the ball uh, recently in an interview, he basically said, oh, that doesn't make any difference to me. I really don't want to discuss it. It doesn't matter. And that's a very big cultural change in two years. So I don't get it. Um, I genuinely don't, especially because in this case, it's, you know, it's not subtle. Uh, you know, I don't remember other than Houston people complaining drastically about the change, a change in the postseason ball. Pitchers do occasionally because the balls are smoother, although I think that may just be because Rawlings tends to associate a quote-unquote better baseball with smoother leather. So that sort of doesn't surprise me, but actually the change is so drastic, um, and yet I mean, different players will say different things, but uh, it's this is being picked up in a way that's very different than, than any previous postseason, and I don't get why it changed all of a sudden. I mean, it has to be those those presumably, I mean, I'm, I'm picturing a pallet. I haven't seen one of them, but, you know, I'm picturing a massive pallet of postseason balls, and somehow every one of those balls was made differently. Um, you know, I can't. I can't think of another reason. Obviously, I will know very soon when um, you know what the difference is. But there's no way that you can explain, you know, a one in a million chance like that. I'm sorry. I want those lottery numbers. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for the time. I truly appreciate it. And you know, we will be in touch very, very soon. Oh, I hope so. I just don't know what to make of it. You know, it's like they have the right to do it. It's their game. They can do whatever they want. I find it from a a business standpoint, you wouldn't want people to think that you're switching. I mean, the ball is the most important thing, right? The most important thing is the ball. The game doesn't start until the pitcher throws the ball. Wherever the ball goes is where the camera goes. I want to talk about that. This thing in my hand right here, official Major League Baseball, and it's got Robert Manford Jr.'s signature on it, made by Rawlings. It's the most important thing in our game. We'll talk about it right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay. A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Alden Gonzalez is an ESPN staff writer, and he put out there on Twitter, a gorgeous 75-degree afternoon ahead of the NLCS Game 3 at Nationals Park. And it doesn't get any better than Jack Flaherty against Steven Strasburg. 75 degrees in our nation's capital? Sounds pretty good to me. Now, we might have weather problems in this series and in the series in New York. I've heard. I'm hoping that's not the case. But it's just, it is what it is when you're playing on the East Coast. And you don't have a roof over your head. Great thing about Minabade Park, you're going to play every single game. I want you to weigh in at 510 897 1322. Text me. 
as baseball fans, because if you're listening to this, that's what you are. You're a baseball fan. 510-897-1322. What are your thoughts about the fact that Major League Baseball could be using a different ball for the postseason that doesn't carry like the ball they put out there in the regular season? And that probably at some point, as Dr. Meredith said, you know, these things were made a while ago. So someone had to make the decision, make the ball different, if if this is what's going on. And the science of it, which is measuring drag and measuring how far these things go, show that it's not going as far as a regular season ball. Does it? Do you care? Do you find it fascinating? Or you're like, I, I don't care. Whatever ball they got to use, both teams got to play with it. Text me at 510-897-1322. That's 510-897-1322. Because the, the, the start of it makes me think scandalous, right? But then I think, well, you know, it's their right. It's their game. They can do whatever the hell they want. As long as everybody's playing with the same ball. You know, and that's that's the deal. Everybody's got to be having the same. So weigh in how you feel about it at 510-897-1322 because there, there, there's clearly some people who cover the game that it bothers them. Like, what's going on? I can tell you this. When I had the commissioner, Roxy Bernstein and I had the commissioner on for the wild card game before the game in Oakland, essentially I could ask him anything except the, baseball. except the baseballs. They did not want me asking about baseballs, which now even more makes me wonder why. If there's no problem... There's nothing to see here. It is what it is. It's all, it's all the same baseball. Why are we worried? And that's why we bring on Meredith. Because she always has something new to add. And what she added today is there's essentially a timestamp inside every baseball. So, like, let me give you an example. As at one point, we were looking to put chicken pies either in Costco uh, or, like, grocery stores in the frozen food section. And as I was getting advice about this, I got educated by a man that's family has been been in the uh, frozen food section for many years. When you go into the frozen section of a grocery store and you buy, let's say, a chicken pie, like a Marie Callender's chicken pie, or you buy a frozen pizza, you buy, whatever you buy, when you look on the box, there on the box you're going to have a bunch of numbers. And those numbers on the box are going to tell you where it was made. It tells you everything. Because if there's a problem, they need to be able to trace exactly back to the source. So, whenever, so next time you're getting something out of the frozen food section, 
Look around on the box, and at one point in the box, like on one of the corners of the boxes, you'll see a bunch of these numbers. It's going to tell you the plant. It's going to tell you how it was shipped. It's going to tell you, well, I didn't realize they do that with baseballs. We all learned something today. So essentially, you should be able to take the leather off the baseball and at some point find these numbers of when the baseball was made, the date it was made. And if they made these things in August, the postseason baseball, and it's not made the same as the regular season baseball, obviously something went down. Is there a rogue person at the plant who wanted to see less home runs? I mean, like you said, I mean, there's a, it's a, it's a, it's a computer, and the and, and the yarn goes around, and when it gets to a certain weight, it stops. Cody, would you have a problem if I told you, as a baseball fan, that baseball as a business said, you know what, um, studies show. This thing's like a Super Bowl. You know those little Super Bowls we had as kids? You throw them up and they bounce everywhere. We want it for the postseason, get the ball more scaled back a little bit because it's been a little ridiculous. Would that have bothered you? Probably not. No, I I don't think it would have bothered me either. I mean, I'm entertained by baseball no matter what happens, but I guess I'm different than some cases would be. But I think think what we're seeing, we're still seeing home runs hit. It's I, I think the biggest thing people are, Forgetting is I think the home runs are dropping. We already have like 60 home runs hit. I think there was only like 55 hit all of last postseason. So I think we've already soared past what we saw last year. But there is, I mean, you're seeing a lot of it, Laura. There shouldn't be like at least 20 to 25 more home runs, at least more hit in the postseason that we haven't seen. And the Cardinals, they come out and say that there there should be more home runs hit. And, and Mike Schilt even said that with the analytics department come out and say it. So, but no, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. Yeah, because where we stand right now, is games are are so long. Out of all the postseason games, we've only had three be under three hours. The National League wild card game was two hours and 55 minutes. Game two, NLDS Cards Braves went two hours and 46 minutes. And then recently... Game two of the NLCS went two hours and 57 minutes. Every other game went over three hours. So if you're saying this should be whatever the number is, 27 more home runs because the buck. Can you imagine? Imagine if there was 27 more, more home runs being hit than are already being hit. And we're looking at four to, I mean, everything's well over three. If not, I mean, last night's game was four hours and 49 minutes. And it's not because it went 11 innings. It was because of all the pitching changes. There were 14 runs scored in that game five between the Braves and Cardinals. Well, 13 of them were by the Cardinals and 10 of them were in the first inning. The game took three hours and 17 minutes. Three hours and 17 minutes. The Yankees and Twins, to preference that, a game where they scored six runs, a game three where the Yankees swept the Twins, it took four hours with six runs scored. Four hours. Even last night, I know it went 11 innings, but four hours for six runs, 334 for 10, and then game one where they scored 14 runs took – Four hours and 15 minutes. That's incredible. Where the same team scored 14 runs, it took three hours and 17 minutes. The Yankees and Twins did exactly the same thing, and it took an hour longer. I, I just don't get it. So I want to hear from you at 510-897-1322. Don't call. 
because there's no one in that studio right now, you text at 510-897-1322. What do you make of what you've learned today on this program? Where teams are telling you, ball's different. According to Susan Slusser, the Chronicle has learned that A's bench coach, Ryan Christensen, friend of the program, will interview for the Pirates manager's job. Good for him. He's going to get a job at some point. He's manager material. Where we heard earlier today that former A, and um, his title escapes me with the Philly Sam Fold, where he's an analytics guy, declined the opportunity to interview with the Cubs, the Pirates, and a few other teams. So good for Ryan, but then we hear Beltron and the whole he only wants to manage the Mets. And then um, Sam Fold, who never managed or you know pretty much coached in baseball, declined in- managerial interviews. So it's interesting to see how some of these guys are turning down opportunities. And it's good for you know to see Ryan. I think Mark Kotze is another guy that's going to – I mean, he already had the, the Giants interview, supposedly. So it's good to see a lot of guys working under Bob and under Bob's coaching tree, as we like to oh, say. Oh, the Melvin coaching tree. The Melvin coaching tree might be up there with Francona soon. Uh, Tito has a lot of guys that uh, Kevin Cash, uh, Mickey Calloway, who well he'll find a job again. But those are like those are when you think of good managers that have a good coaching tree. I think Tito's at the top right now. Pirates, Phillies, Royals, Giants, Angels, Mets, Cubs, Padres. It's the third time in the modern era since 1900 that were eight-plus manager changes at the end of a season. 2002-2013, there was 10. 1975-76, 8. 1926-27, 8. And now, 2019. Is there anybody else that possibly could be losing their gig out there in baseball to make it nine? I thought I think the one that a lot of us thought, including myself, was uh, who knew what the uh, Dodgers were going to do with Dave Roberts. We found out he's going to be back, so that could have been nine. But I don't think there's anyone else. I mean, you figured if the Nats would have lost that playoff series, they probably would have considered Dave Martinez because they that's just what they do. No, oh, Dave's locked in now, yeah, baby. He's going to be back for at least next year. Dave's locked in. Dave gets another win tonight. You're up three zip. So, God, I mean, a lot of these jobs. Do I want the Pirates job? No. Do I want the Royals job? No. Do I want the Giants job? No. Do I want the Angels job? Maybe. Do I want the Mets job? No. The Wilpons are so dysfunctional. Do I want the Cubs job? Yes. Do I want the Padres job? I think that would kind of be a maybe. And for... Bay Area people, listen, I just I, I have a feeling now you're finally going to see Farhan, his plan go to work, where it's going to be more of a rebuilding process. Well, I'm not a rebuild guy. I want to win. Uh, I, I'm a guy that, well, you know, I watched the Pirates rebuild for, as they say, 20 years. So I, I believe the strategy works. As a Philadelphia 76ers fan, the tanking did work. For, I mean, they won a title, but the tanking did work. Acquired all those picks, and they started winning. They're one of the best teams in the East. Cubs and uh, Cubs and Mets, the outliers, or I'm not Mets. Cubs and Astros have done it in baseball. We, we've seen so many teams try to tank now, and they're just not figuring out. The Royals are one of them. I'm but. just saying, Phillies, Cubs, I got a chance to win next year. Angels, 
I just got to wait. I mean, if they pick up Garrett Cole, I mean, I mean, they might pick up some dudes, and then you're like, I'm all in. But Polhos is another year older. Upton's another year older. But you got Trout. You got Otani. You got yeah, and David Fletcher, the second. You got an owner. You, you you got an owner that always wants to win and spend money. You're probably going to get Joe Batten as your manager. Well, I'm telling you, well, what are you talking about? I might be the manager. Oh, okay. Well, maybe he's your bench coach then. Maybe. Once, a, yeah, I, I'm only looking at job. If it's me, I'm only looking at jobs. Like same thing with the Padres. Like, do they want to spend more money? Do they want to compete? If they are, but yeah, God, do I really want to manage a team in the division up against the Dodgers? Do, do we see the Dodgers losing this division? They've won it seven straight years. Do you see them not making it ten or more? Um, I think it's going to keep going. All those guys are young. They're probably going to lose, uh, lose Ryu, but they'll probably just find someone else find to plug Find somebody in. else. Dustin May will take a spot. Walker or... Bueller's cheap. Yeah, all those guys are, except yeah, I mean, for K- Kershaw. And, and it's Yeah, and he's not the same, but he doesn't suck. Well, he's still pretty good, except for the postseason. He's the left-handed version of Zach Granke. Your boy Granke. Well, right. What about those guys have in common? They're probably both going to be Hall of Famers. All right, you ready for a little uh, buying or selling? Oh, I want to give you this real, real quick. Real quick, real quick. So if you're watching the game tonight, Steven Strasburg, his four-seam fastball, when he came into baseball as a rookie, was 98.2. All these years later, it's 93.9. So Strasburg, in 2010 through 2018, uses four-seam fastball 40 6.2% 6.2% of the time. His curveball, only 19.4. Flashback to today, or flash forward to today, I should say, he goes from 46.2 to 28.6 on the four-seam fastball, and he goes from usage of a curveball, 19.4 to 30.6. Strasburg has induced 17 misses on 38 swings this postseason. Good for a 44.7% whiff rate on the curveball. Only Adam Wainwright is better. Strasburg has emerged as a pitcher and not a thrower. Very impressive to see him, as he gets older, get better like a fine wine. It's crazy, it's crazy you said about the curveball whiff rate, which is in, oh this postseason. Okay, I thought it, I thought it was the regular season because Charlie Morton had the highest whiff rate. I think he had the most strikeouts of his curveball. His curveball was incredible, but... You're right. Strasburg, season. Strasburg has one from a guy that just threw smoke to being a guy that knows how to get guys out his secondary pitches, and it's great to see because now we're seeing him in his early 30s finally be the guy that we all hoped he would be five, six, seven years ago. You ready for buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Don't, 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 don't. 438 first pitch. I love the postseason start times. 438, 507, on, 537. On TBS. We had Brian Anderson who's calling the game tonight for TBS on earlier. So we brought up Dave Roberts earlier. As you mentioned, the Dodgers have won the NOS seven straight years, four years in a row with Dave Roberts. They won a franchise record 106 games this year and won the division by an incredible 21 games over the second place, Arizona Diamondbacks. They lost in the NLDS this year with some questionable managerial moves by Dave Roberts, and they lost in the last two World Series prior as well. 
They could they could have been the Buffalo Bills of the uh, Major League Baseball. The rumors were out there that they were going to move on from Dave Roberts, but they're bringing him back in 2020. And now Mark Pryor is going to be his pitching coach. I think some of this has to do with the Giants looking for a manager, and maybe Farhan would interview would definitely bring Dave Roberts in. So buying or selling, the Dodgers made the right move bringing back Dave Roberts. Uh, I'm buying. I like Dave Roberts. I know a lot of people can question a lot of different things that any of these managers do. Aaron Boone's not getting now getting questioned. But a, a lot of the moves being made are the blueprint of the front office and how they want the game to be run. Someone still has to manage the people, and that's what Dave Roberts does a good job of down in L.A., managing the players. So we next two are both about managers as well. The hot name on a manager market right now is one Carlos Beltran. Beltran is a World Series champion and nine-time All-Star. He's one of the best players of breaking down swings and, and uh, pitcher tendencies as well. He was one who helped the Astros win the 2017 World Series with his video breakdowns and also helped James Paxson this year as an advisor with the Yankees with his knuckle curve and the way he uses glove. He's been linked to the Cubs, Padres, and Mets, but he turned down the Cubs and Padres opportunities because he wanted to only manage the New York Mets. Buying or selling Carlos Beltran will be the next manager of our Mets. I'm buying. Why not? I mean, they need it. I mean, the way he breaks down players and the way he was able to help guys turn around. He'd be great in New York, and he, probably, and he can handle the media. And he walks right in and has the respect of everybody. Once again, manage, managing the people. I, I I can see him easily being named. I mean, you, you're talking about a pro's pro coming into there with no question. Fan favorite. I, I, I could easily see him. Like, you need to make a splash. I mean, that's always the thing. It's about the back page of the sports page. Can you make a splash? You know, you, you hire somebody, give me a name, and it's going to be wah, wah, wah. You hire that guy, now you're making noise in New York. Page two behind the Yankees. So the last one, actually there's actually there's another one after this. This is an intriguing one because we didn't get to it on Friday. But this is one we asked on Friday. I'm going to ask you again. The Giants interviewed Gabe Kapler over the weekend for their open managerial spot. I'm just going to get to it. Buying or selling, Gabe Kapler will be the next manager of the San Francisco Giants. I'm saying no way. I'm saying no way. I think that is a uh, – I think that is a, a – we were with the Dodgers together. Farhan brought him into the Dodgers. I just – with the lack of success and just the kind of how it didn't go right, I, like how, how does – you name Gabe Kapler your next manager. Who's fired up about that? They just ran him out of Philly. Uh, Philly fans will be excited because they know he's not managing the Phillies anymore. But that's you're right. And I still think he's going to be in serious consideration for that. We heard Mark Hotze's name mentioned as well. And uh, your friend Bob Guerin also mentioned for that job. So we'll see. Like, none of those guys. The, none of them do it for him. There's not like, oh, my God, the Giants just hired Bob Guerin to be their manager. If the, if the Giants are like, hey, we just hired um, – JT Snow or a player that, you know, a guy you think of like, okay, that's a guy I'll get behind this, but Bob Guerin. Well, basically what you'd be saying at the press conference, hey, this guy's going to do whatever we want in the, in the dugout. We're going to tell him how to run the game and what to do in the game, and he's just going to implement our game plan, and that's why he's hired. Do you think – I mean, that, 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 that's reality. And that's something like a season ticket holders, you go from having Bruce Bochy, who you think is a Hall of Fame manager and one of the great managers of bullpens and people and everything, to saying, hey, we're only hiring this guy because he's going to do what we want, the front office. 
I think a good, a good guy for that manager. Who I, he's popped in out there. I, I said JT Snow. I think Dero Mark DeRosa is the perfect guy for that job. He's a big analytics guy. He'll he's good with people. Okay, what does that mean though? He's a good analytics guy. Like he's he buys into it. He's gonna listen to what the front office tells him, and he'll. But does he want to come into a situation where they tell him what to do every move? Um, if you want a shot, if you want a shot managing, that's how it's going anymore. Dero doesn't seem like that kind of guy to me. But he's, he's an, gonna he's gonna. How much he's going to want input on what happens day, on game day? I think there's no question of that. So the last one, and this happened on Friday before I had my trek, got on my trek over here because it's really rough. The name came up for the Phillies job, and it's not Dusty Baker who was, came out over the weekend. The Buck Shoulders name was also mentioned. I still think Charlie Manuel gets a look. We talked about that way earlier this year how he was going to be the next manager when they fired Kapler. But one guy apparently wants to either be the next manager of the Phillies or the Red Sox pitching coach, and that would be none other than six-time All-Star, three-time World Series champion, World Series MVP, Mr. Bloody Sock himself, Kurt Schilling. Schilling pitched to the Phillies for nine years to start his career and won 101 games with the club. Buying or selling Kurt Schilling will be the next manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't know how you make that move. I. <laughs> you already went from some craziness with Kapler, and you're going to want to bring in Kurt Schilling. I mean, you want to bring the circus to town? When I saw that, I was just like, that'd be a great, as a, as a guy from Pittsburgh, that'd be great to see the city of Philadelphia have Kurt Schilling managing the Phillies. Like, what? What, that, that, I, I, what is the question? I'm selling whatever it is. Uh, Kurt Schilling will be the next manager yeah, of selling. the Phillies. Yeah, no way. So one last one, because I want to get to the Costanza, Adam Eaton thing, which we can just talk about another time. Uh, on this date, 17 years ago, you mentioned a highlight from the Yankees in the 76. Well, this also happened, too. Francisco Cabrera comes to the plate to bat for the pitcher. He hacked at the 2-0, now the 2-1. Line drive and a base hit! Just as the score of the tying run, Green to the plate! And he is safe! Safe at the plate! The Braves go to the World Series! Buying or selling, Barry Bond should be held, back, held out of the Hall of Fame forever for the throw. Against Sid Bream. For getting thrown out by Sid Bream. <laughs> How do you not throw out Sid Bream? He was on one leg. One leg. Didn't he have a knee brace on? Yes. Is Kurt, I mean, Kirk Gibson had the iconic run against Eck, but come on, he had one leg. I'm selling that. I want to thank Brian Anderson. You're going to see him coming up here at 438, calling the game for TBS. Our old friend, one of the great fun A's to have on the ball club, Johnny Gomes. Evan Drellich from The Athletic and Dr. Meredith Wills, the astrophysicist, breaking down, are baseballs different? Are they different in 2019? Are they different in the postseason? It's a conspiracy. We're going to be on this week, Wednesday and Thursday, okay? We'll replay this show tomorrow. And then we'll be live on Wednesday and Thursday, and we'll replay Thursday on Friday. We had a great show today. Enjoy the NLCS Game 3, and we'll see you all tomorrow. And we're going to rerun the show starting right now here on A's Cast, but we will see you all tomorrow. Uh, enjoy A's Cast, and we'll be back live 1 to 4 on Wednesday. Have a great day, everybody.